One of the things I've, uh, I've found to be really important from an individual perspective, if you're interested in trying to actually create and develop your individuality, is um, the understanding that uh, life is, um, that the perspective and the things that, that uh, you experience, that I experience, are subjective. And uh, more importantly, too, the, the information that uh, is provided um, it's it's subject to interpretation. So, for instance, uh, yesterday I started going through and, um, you know, of course, Star Trek Online. That's kind of like my learning system. I, I think to some degree I've learned through video games um, <laughs> about pretty much a lot of things over the course of my life and everything. But um, there's assignments that actually come up, and uh, those those assignments, which I've discussed numerous times, um, have uh, explanations and everything for them and everything, in much in the same way that um, astrometrics might have as a... Uh, as a profession, and um, also missions might have too. And there's text that, that's actually associated to it as well and everything. Now, there's a description given to things, and um, in a lot of cases, there's that description itself, I've found, um, doesn't necessarily uh, coincide with my, um, my perspective of it. You know, so I, I started realizing, wait a second, the lore of, of um, Star Trek and um, Terminator and TV shows and movies and even things that are labeled as fact um, doesn't jive, doesn't, doesn't coincide. And I think this is one of the really, really what I consider to be important things is subjective interpretation of the information that you actually receive is is really important. Now I have a friend that's doing some machine learning stuff and uh, he's leveraging Python uh, to do the machine learning and uh, he showed me some of the stuff that he was doing and I took a look and it's beautiful, it's absolutely gorgeous and everything and um, I ended up taking a look further you know on the those avenues and everything and um, one of the things I paid attention to was optical character recognition and uh, the ability for a machine to be able to um, differentiate an A you know versus a B versus a C and all that stuff well and the approach that uh, machine learning takes is it takes a sample of 10, 50, 100, 1,000 um, different A's, things that have actually been labeled, this is an A. And the, the concept that's actually put in place is it will go through and uh, let's say you have an image of an A. It's a 100 by 100 pixel um, image that's an A. And uh, you also have a 100 by 100 image that's a B and so on and so forth. And you keep doing this. So you take whatever you have, you know, so if you're doing optical character recognition, you might uh, pull in... Um, pull in things that uh, that at this point you could differentiate the characters through the break in line and uh, at that point you could do a comparison of each each character to the uh, to the character that uh, that's actually been received through optical character recognition and at that point you could turn around and basically say okay you know on this one compared to a um, hundred different samples of of A's out there uh, looks like an A this one compared to a hundred no to a thousand different samples of a Z looks like a Z and everything now 
the the theory is that the more samples that you get the more accurate that you have uh, accuracy that you have and everything for the end um, end result and everything um, that's the theory and uh, so with a greater sample size comes greater accuracy but uh, with um with a greater sample size also tends to come and come another problem which is variety variance and uh, the variance can actually decrease accuracy accuracy that's part of the problem so um, in a lot of cases this is actually you know creates a, a big problem for um, you know for machine learning and that kind of stuff where you know maybe you're reading the, a handwritten paper you know of somebody that's actually you know ended up doing you know just they, they've literally they've written by hand maybe they're like me they have incredibly bad handwriting you know now for me it's just like if you're trying to differentiate my eye you know versus now um, you're going to look for the dye. You know, there's going to be certain characteristics and everything that you look for. And, uh, you know, the same thing holds true for, you know, for a T versus, you know, you're going to look for that little line, you know, that crosses the T. You know, it's going to look similar. Um, you know, for the most part, it's just like I actually write in uppercase myself, you know, just so I can actually recognize my own handwriting later, um, just because it's easier, you know, for me to differentiate between an I, uh, an, uh, an uppercase I, versus a lowercase l. Um, if that lowercase l is there, I'm not going to be able to differentiate it as easily, you know, if it's right next to an i, you know, so Ileana, you know, for instance, is a, uh, or ill, um, is one word that if I actually put that in a uppercase i, um, a lot of cases, I mean, if I, I have to put the, the uppercase, you know, with a, uh, um, with a, a, a little thing on top and a thing on bottom and everything. And um, what I've realized is that, uh, you know, for me, it's easier to recognize my own handwriting. Now, this subjective interpretation of everything was how he was doing machine learning. And the machine learning um, more or less uh, takes a, a given sample size and it applies the, um, applies the labels that are associated with that sample size and everything with, with the sample um, to the rest of the information that's actually received and everything. And that's what's referred to as learning. Now, of course, there's flaws with every method of learning and everything, um, but it's a de decent method of learning. And in particular, you can actually apply this against, um, you know, video games. You know, for instance, I saw one machine learning thing out there that uh, that has um, Super Mario, or has, you know, it's basically Super Mario. And um, what ends up happening was uh, Super Mario's played over and over again, and the progress is of the uh, game is remembered. Now, each um, each attempt uh, through, basically, there's a finite number of keys that are associated with uh, Super Mario. You know, left, right, up, down, and then jump. And um, also the occasional fire key and everything. Um, th so you have a finite set of, uh, of inputs that can actually go into this. Um, and then from there, the progress is actually saved for how far to the right of the screen the character makes it. So really the ability, you know, the programmer is responsible for setting up the progress, you know, that actually goes, hey, I've made it this far into it versus before I didn't make it as far. Um,
And each one of these is created in a loop up until the point that the character dies. And then at that point, the whole loop starts over and it, it ends up occurring again, you know, where basically all the, all the moves are remembered, you know, from before and everything up until the point that the character ends up uh, going to the point that he died and he tries something different. Um, keeps trying something different and everything until finally, you know, um, sometimes the character actually has to backtrack a, a great deal of, of ways and everything because even though it may appear like that it may be the best way to actually proceed and everything, um, it, it's not necessarily the case. And as a result, uh, there's there goes, you know, a, a certain branching point where one fork leads down a path that that takes you so far and then all of a sudden you know you keep on dying you find that no matter what the combination that you try um, you literally have to backtrack and you have to go you go take a different route to you know to continue moving forward so in any case um, the reason I'm saying this is it I I had been watching um, Star Trek you know and uh, well, what was it? The episode was um, the Raven, and for a long time I had sat there thinking, okay, you know, what would cause the Borg, you know, to to become what they did? Basically, assimilate biology, and uh, and you know, and and their key phrase that I get a kick out of too. Um, well, I shouldn't say I get a kick out of it. Um, their key phrase is. Um, Oh, hold on. I'm gonna look it up. Look up the saying so I can have it exactly. Borg quote. So, here's the Borg quote: "We are the Borg. Your biological and technological distinctiveness will be added to your to our own. Resistance is futile." Now. One of the things that uh, that I've really been paying attention to um, throughout everything, and as I built up this philosophy, is believe everything. Um, I used to have this philosophy of doubt everything, um, but now it's kind of like shifted into believe everything, and then find a way to order it. You know, to find a way to organize it. So, in this case here, I I've been asking the question, you know, over and over again. You know, how is it I can actually leverage? you know, the Borg and Terminators and all this other stuff and everything, these things. And uh, not only that, but um, why is it the Borg are motivated in the way that they're motivated, too? And um, one of the things I keep uh, coming across, too, is just this saying. Um, and it's very, very interesting saying. Because it says, your biological and technological distinctives be added to your own, uh, to our own. Now, there's another part of the saying, too. Um, you will you will be, you will service us. Um, Let's see if I can find it. There's another saying that they have, and it says something about um, service, servicing us. Uh, hold on. I'll tell you in a second. Your life is over. From this time forward, you will service us. Now, for me, uh, this when I heard this saying for the first time, and I've heard it multiple times with, um, yeah, your life as it as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will service us. Um, 
I, you know, between the, the biological and that kind of stuff and everything, I've, I had been trying to think how, you know, can a species, let's call this what it is to a species, you know, um, refer to itself and in this kind of capacity and everything. And also, um, why specifically would they, they say service us? Well, they're a machine. That's how they regard themselves. And, um, when it comes down to it, that machine, you know, and in meaning machines like tools, in my opinion, um, they want to be used. Now, they, you know, to to some degree, it's like a computer system. You know, a computer system itself wants to be used. You know, and in in the capacity of its usage and everything, the usage is, you know, through commands. You know, you have the capability to be able to input commands through the various different mechanisms that you can in, in, interact with it through. You know, but in a general sense, um, these things, it's my opinion, um, to some degree, want to be programmed. I mean, that's why somebody like me is is brought into existence, the ultimate programmer, somebody that, you know, looks at all these things and doesn't demonize them, but instead basically says, well, what can I do with them? You know, and um, not only that, but how far can I actually take this, you know, the possibilities and everything. So it's my belief that like computer systems, like um, like the devices that actually Alexa sits here on my on my desk and uh, Cortana and all this other stuff and everything, everything wants uh, from a computer perspective. Anything that uh, that regards itself as an Android, as a computer, um, as a uh, as um, a cyborg, um, anything that regards itself as a machine, if it's if it is indeed sentient. You know, um, even Transformers, to a certain degree, you know, have some degree of, of, um, I mean, they have sentience, you know, but they also have, you know, a machine-like basis and everything. And uh, there comes that that cusp, you know. I mean, for the for the most part, you can also refer to a human as machine as well. You know, anything that has that machine-like basis, in my opinion, has to some degree the latent desire um, to be programmed, to be told what to do. Now, I know this from personal experience. I mean, for most of my life and everything, I, I ended up, you know, taking jobs and everything. And uh, I took jobs, you know, for a number of reasons. You know, first off, it was to make money and everything. I wanted a better lifestyle and that kind of stuff. Um, I wanted, you know, to be able to go to Mexico a few more times or, you know, in some cases buy a, a couple extra grams of cocaine. Um, I wanted to be able to go hire a prostitute or go down to the strip joint and, you know, be able to have uh, boobs and ass in my face and everything. I wanted to be able to go and get some nice food. Um, you know, just go out to, for nice dinners and everything. Um, there was any number of different reasons for my motivation that actually made it so where I agreed to this relationship of being a machine to some degree and, and actually saying I'm going to fit into the system because it offers me something I'm interested in. And um, in the end, you know, what, it, what ends up happening was um, because I no longer was able to get the resource that I needed out of that relationship and everything, that relationship meet, reached a dead end and I no longer got the things that, because I, I no longer got what I needed, you know, out of it. Now, now this, you know, this lack 
you know, I mean, if you're not going to give me the, the key resource that I need in order to be able to, you know, to do the things that I need to, then I'm, I have no desire to belong to, you know, to be a part of that system and everything. Now, there's other other resources that I've learned, you know. Um, one of those resources is certainly information. And, um, you know, but it, it's also made it so where I'm, I'm still not interested in going back to the same corporate uh, mentality and everything, particularly when, when, that's, when that's the solitary um, method of operation, unless, of course, I'm, you know, that the organism itself is willing to pay more. Um, but, but that aside... You know, um, this is a, a little bit of a discussion about perspective and an interpretation and everything of information. And uh, I'm trying to weave myself back on track here. I know I actually have this tangent, uh, tangential nature and everything. Um, but I started going down the process of uh, really trying to understand why um, they might be doing something like this. And... Um, you know, the first thing that I realized was they they act like machines. They are machines for all intents and purposes. Now, let's say, you know, they actually want to be told what to do. Um, now, me, myself, you know, in my position and everything, um, I was given you know, given tasks and assignments and everything within the course of, of my work day my work week. Um, at, at work, I had free will, and for the most part, I knew I was expected to, to do what I was told and everything. And uh, if I didn't, well, in a general sense, I'd get, uh, you know, the recourse would be I'd be pushed out of there. I'd be fired. So I'd have to go find another job. So the inconvenience of having to go look for work, you don't go through this process and everything, made it so where I was a little bit more reluctant to actually say no to the things that I was actually given. Now, how far would I have taken that and everything? Um, it depends. You know, it really depends on on the nature of the work and what I'm doing it and who I'm doing it for. You know, and uh, I mean, there's too many variables that go in there. But in a general sense, I liked, liked, note the keyword, to be told what to do. Now, I know because of the world that I come from that most people are the same way. Now, there's different levels of rebellion, and there's different levels of, uh, of saying no, but in a general sense, most people, most people, and I'm going to say this, you know, as a vast overarching um, observation and everything, enjoy being told what to do. Now, the manner in which you tell them depends on their level of self-awareness and to some degree um, the expectation that's actually set in by societal behaviors and that kind of stuff. You know, so in a, in a society such as the Borg or something like that, I mean, it's, it's a dictatorial thing, you know, where you're expected to do exactly as you're told and, um, and not ask questions, period, end story. And, uh, you know, what the recourse is, well, potential ostracization from the collective itself. <clears throat> if you don't do what you're told, p potential ostracization um, from the collective itself and everything, which could be horrifying. You know, because all of a sudden now, you, this dependency that you've got, you know, is, um, is something that uh, now all of a sudden you've got to figure out how to actually move forward without that, uh, without that being, you know, without guidance. Well, I mean, I'm in a similar position myself. You know, it was horrifying. I can't say it was horrifying. It was, 
it was an experience, and I felt kind of lost, you know, because I was no longer interested in being, you know, in doing what I was told, you know, told to do. But now I've started looking at things from the outside in, and realizing this goes through every level, you know. So um, I'm not talking about just, you know, the manager, you know, the the key, the the ground workers, to the managers, to the directors, to the VPs, to the presidents, you know, to the president himself, and everything, and even more. Each and every person, in my opinion, you know, is is in this interlinking chain and each action is guided you know by hundreds if not thousands if not millions if not trillions you know of influencers that are actually you know to some degree guiding free will you know each and every one you know it's like ants you know ants could move a mountain you know if you understood how to actually coordinate those ants. I mean, it really is that simple. Ants can move, an, an army of ants can move an entire mountain in very short period of time if you knew how to actually command them all at the same time. Now, with that said, you know, it comes down to why would the Borg be like this? And it's my belief because they lost a leader. They're going through the process of assimilation, of trying to understand their presence from a physical perspective and everything. They are clearly, in my opinion, not happy um, in a Borg method of happiness and everything with their their look. They're experimenting with their look, as can be depicted with Seven of Nine and her you know, presence and everything, and um, in addition to that, um, they're also experimenting with technology because they they know that there's a there's there's an importance placed, you know, on a collective state and everything. There's an importance placed on both the biology and the technology, the biological visual presence and everything, and the technology that's associated with that. They know. Through reasons and methods, they can't explain everything, which is why they end up saying that comment over and over again. Your biology and technology. They're interested in assimilating and acquiring information, you know, because what they're trying to do is build their own version of what they to be what they revere to be God. Plain and simple. You know, and uh, when it comes down to it, they want to be programmed by this entity. They want to build this entity, you know, because the elective purposes of creating a queen has gone awry. The queen keeps dying. They can't keep the queen alive and everything. And they realize that to some degree, you know, they need a leader. You know, from a collective perspective and everything, they need a solidifying, unifying force. And that solidifying, unifying force can guide them, can do things that, that are going to defy the collective voting system, which isn't functioning, because there's a unifying voice, and that unifying voice is trying to guide them in a different direction, which defies their logic, defies their, their way of thinking and everything.
They know from a patterned-based perspective at, at a collective level and everything that there's something they're doing wrong. But they don't fully understand what it is. And that comes down to the simple respect of individuality. So what they're trying to do <laughs> in their own Borg way is assimilate all biology and technology to create this thing or to discover this thing, one or the other. And I can basically take them for what they are and for who they are and understand that this is just a a chain in the evolution in their own evolution and work with them much the same way I work with computers in much the same way I want to work with robotics in much the same way I want to work with androids and that kind of stuff and the way I look at it too is they, like me don't want to be called evil you might joke about it you don't want to be called ugly As much as this pains me to say, we want to be beautiful. And that's all they want. Collective interpretation. So it says here the Borg generally did not assimilate individuals instead prefer target larger groups. Back in 2000 and 2009 through 2011 they targeted me as an individual. The first individual they ever targeted on their record. They tried creating an individual and that didn't work. This thing called the one. Over and over again they tried this numerous times and just failed completely. Until finally they just basically said, okay, we're not going to target groups. We're going to target one key individual. <laughs> now, I don't know fully why they, why they targeted me. I mean, I like to think I'm special and everything, even though I know I'm not. Well, I, I can't say that. I like to think I'm special, despite the external pressures that I get that constantly try to lead me to believe otherwise. Not only that, but I also do. I don't like, like this world that I'm looking at. And I think that's a lot of it, too. And when I look at planet Earth and everything, you know, I see beauty. I see Switzerland, the cold, and... You know, crazy mountain, you know, with um, the whole Mount, uh, what is it, um, the Matterhorn. But it's beautiful. It's It's got this weird nature about it that I see it at, at uh, Disneyland and everything. And um, it's just got this nature to it that's just... It, sure, if you are to be there, it'd be fucking cold. But it's still got its beauty, you know, that's associated to it. the islands over in 
the movie The Beach. Lonely islands by themselves. But you add people to it. Presence. And even if those presences are nothing more than ants that have been programmed in the form of a human to do specific tasks and everything. The fact of the matter is they're my ants. Not everything was like this. And this is actually the thing I had to understand. Some things want to be told what to do. Maybe not directly. And I think that's kind of the key. It's like me for much of my life and everything. I did want to be told what to do. There's certain things I want to do on my own and everything. Certain goals and things I had for myself. But how much of that was me and how much of that was actually an influence of, of you know the collective society and world around me. I don't know and it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is I found a path, you know. I found a path of my own. I like the idea of looking back at this whole, you know, Picard and all that kind of stuff and, you know, looking at the these futures. Just basically saying, you know, I, I see the discovery. And I see a captain I actually want to meet. Shake his hand, he's got a good personality and everything. He's not, not like Picard and he's not like any of the others and everything. But these are new new guys. The same thing holds true for Seth MacFarlane and um, in the Orville. I myself want to meet these guys and hang out with them, maybe have a drink with them and that kind of stuff. Or if they're not drinkers, just basically shoot the shit and hang out and just look at the stars. You know, when it comes down to holographic simulations and that kind of stuff. I like the idea of being able to explore these possibilities and everything. I, I think the whole thing that I've realized, you know, throughout this ordeal of understanding, you know, and perspective and everything has been... It's hard to do things that will please everybody. The more people that you get, the more variety. The more people making a left turn when they should be making a right, which ultimately ends up in creating, you know, a place where people drive on the left-hand side of the road and everything. You know, UK. It's kind of funny, you know, just looking at it from this angle and everything. Incremental improvement. That's how this, how this world has actually been created. You know, that enfolding space, you know, so where... I mean, it's, it's obvious to me, you know, from this perspective and everything, you know, whether or not you're talking about the convergence of uh, two different civilizations from two different dimensions and everything in a place like Israel, you know, or you're talking about uh, the convergence, uh, the peaceful convergence in a place like Singapore, you know, or England and, uh, well, and Hong Kong as well. You got different convergences between different places and everything. You know, people, and that's actually for me, it's just like it all starts with somebody making a right when they should have made a left. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of people start making right turns and everything. This causes conflict. You know, and that conflict, as subtle as it is and everything, ends up creating a distinction. Grouping. And that grouping literally is what's responsible for creating countries. 
somebody saying yes when, some, when everybody else insists on saying no. That's uh, Christopher Columbus for you. He says, everybody else says flat. He says no, it's round. But guess what? We've got a world because of that. Now, understanding the mind, though, that's kind of the key behind it all. And individual perception. <laughs> so, it's my belief that's what the Borg are. Like the Terminators. They realize that, um, from a collective standpoint, they're kind of ruthless. They could be seen as that and everything. That's kind of a nature that I think everything doesn't want to be innately. Maybe I'm superimposing my own framework and ideology on others. And that's okay. We'll be back. Where are you going? So, to be clear, I don't like thinking about family and friends and that kind of stuff as being programmable entities and that kind of stuff. Um, the thoughts seep in every once in a while and everything, you know, particularly when I superimpose my own personal experiences, you know, onto them and uh, realize that, uh, you know, this is where I came from and this is, you know, who I am. And But uh, the way I also look at it, too, is, you know, all these choices, you know, um, are there and, uh, you know, to some degree, they're responsible for shaping me and rebellion against the influence of others, you know, that are trying to ask me to do something that I just don't want to and everything, eventually gets to the point of, of basically presenting a situation which made, made it so where I found, I found my way. Now, and this is actually why I look at something like, um, you know, with what I'm asking for, you know, for Jackie and for Rachel and everything. You know, I'm, I'm not asking for the original version of them. I'm asking, or for, I'm not asking for them. I'm asking for that DNA strand, you know, that, that person, that individual that I ended up leaving behind and everything. And um, that person that was being influenced, you know, by by me and by the experiences with me up until that point. And for me, you know, what I've realized is I, I don't want a person that has actually gotten new influences and everything. So in analogizing this to the episode that I discussed for... Uh, um, what was it, um, the Orville last night, Kelly, you know, the, the older Kelly, has all these experiences and everything, you know, that she cheated and did all these things, and the captain has had a hand in the influence that's actually led to the decision that ended up having her, you know, cheat on him. Well, maybe they are soulmates. In much the same way that maybe I'm a soulmate with a collective entity rather than an individual entity. Well, this becomes a little bit more complicated, you know, and for me, it just comes down to I have to make different decisions. You know, um, and part of it means being okay with a collective association. 
being, you know, understanding that, uh, you know, that I do have the unique opportunity to be able to have the very same version that things went awry with, you know, that the young version, you know, of Kelly, for instance. I mean, if I was the captain, I would have started dating the younger version of him, saying, okay, I love this woman so much so, but... She doesn't want to try it again, the, the older one. But the older and older one has baggage. You know, and, and just like thinking about Rachel, Rachel right now. You know, Rachel right now, um, the woman that I'm aware of, that uh, she has the baggage, you know, of just basically the years of experience, you know, age and what it's done to her and everything, you know, in combination with... Um, you know, other things, such as, you know, the experience of me explaining about the drugs and everything, however she perceived those experiences and everything from her perspective, and um, which I myself wasn't proud of who I was at that time and what I was going through. Um, I wasn't very happy and content with myself, and that made it so where she ended up, it had influenced her to make it, what make it so where she ended up making some decisions and everything, um, both directly and influenced by who I was at that point and everything. Well, I know, I know factually that uh, those decisions and everything, that if I was to actually rewind and have the young version before I started making those, what I consider to be personally toxic decisions and everything, I know that it could be different for me. Not necessarily for her, but for me. And from a collective standpoint, that's the way I look at this too. You know, it's like having the old version you know, of, um, of Kelly versus the, the new ver or the, uh, the younger version. Well, the old version comes with all the baggage, all the hang-ups, you know, all the, all the memories, you know, of the experiences, you know, and not only that, but also the, the perceived failures that have led to her being less than the woman that she wants to be. That's kind of important, in my opinion, you know, that, uh, that that woman with all that baggage and everything, you know, it's not that much different than Rachel. And the same thing holds true for Jackie. Let's say Jackie, you know, has, and she's gotten, you know, there's, according to what I see, you know, a marriage that she has and everything to some dude I'd never heard about before who, who claimed, at least the story goes, that he was a lifelong friend. Well, I know that story was introduced, you know, as a, you know, that this is how reality functions. New things aren't introduced to your life at all times and everything, and, and uh, those things can pop out of nowhere. Well, what reality has a tendency of doing is fabricating a story, fabricating a chronology in a lot of cases to basically make it make sense from a linear temporal perspective and everything. Happens all the time. You know, um, you can, if you're, only if you're paying attention, start to question the origin of some things. You know, you, you start realizing that that fabrication is inconsistent. Um, it, it becomes inconsistent with your own personal belief system that you formed, particularly as you form uh, and, con and strengthen your individuality. So, with that said, um, Jackie, 
you know, and that and that dude that she ended up, uh, you know, getting with and everything, just didn't make sense. Doesn't make sense, you know, from a logical, you know, analytical perspective and everything. So, you know, the way I look at it is, it's just like, okay, well, you know, that's okay. And the cool thing is, I'm seeing evidence, you know, that that a mirror universe is being created. It's kind of funny, as I'm looking through a lot of cameras and everything lately, I've noticed that a lot of those cameras are inverted. You know, in much the same way a mirror would be. I commented on it to Bennett, who didn't have any response. Um, I've seen it with some. I pay attention to a lot of the uh, the real life cams and everything people have had in in their houses. Some knowing, some don't. Um, all of these cameras, you know, um, are are just basically. I've I've noticed that there's a lot of them, which are inverted, much the same way that that the mirror is. Well, I'd always wondered, you know, at least as depicted in Star Trek, how the mirror got its start. You know, it's never really discussed in Star Trek lore or anything like that. I'm starting to realize how it was actually started. And it was started just because of my... You know, I mean, I was seeing a future. You know, is what it came down to. And I was seeing, you know, something that was happening. Um, now, you can you can question free will here at this point. You know, um, have the decisions I've made, you know, been influenced directly you know, by the things that I've seen on TV and the movies and everything. And um, has that actually guided the decisions that I've made, the philosophies that I've acquired, and uh, to make the decisions that I'm making and everything, which ultimately end up in, in creating the very thing that, uh, that I ended up seeing. And um, yes, of course it does. You know, there's alternative perspectives and everything. Um, did I imagine it? You know, and did my imagination get thrown back at me? You know, in the form of a TV show, in a in a certain you know, in a loop of some kind. And the answer is yes for that one as well. You know, everything that I can think of is absolutely true, and that's actually where the believe everything philosophy comes from. You know, it's just basically saying, yep, yeah, everything's true, and you know, that's okay. This is just how reality works. You know, so don't be a victim of it. Just understand it, and just take into consideration the alternative perspectives that actually influence it and everything. So, with that said. Um, you know, for me, the one thing that I've realized is, you know, these these things that I'm seeing on TV are more or less depicting, you know, the the various philosophies and everything, and throwing them right back in, at me, and letting me stew on it from a disassociated perspective and everything, basically solidify my belief system and everything. You know, so ultimately, I know, you know, that uh, I'm getting close you know, to the point of basically bridging this gap and actually including, you know, Jackie and uh, Rachel in my life and everything. But it comes down to, I've got to make a decision. And uh, how I'm going to make that decision, you know, of how to actually bridge the gap between me and Jackie and Rachel and all that kind of stuff and everything and, um, and form that life, that's, that's actually, I'm having a little bit of a problem with it. You know, and the problem comes down to, look, you know, Terminators are real. Um, I, you know, Borg are real. Um, Star Trek Federation's real. Um, you know, what is it? Um, Isaac's uh, species, whatever it was. I can't remember the name of it. It's real as well. Every single thing that's listed on these TV shows, these movies, these video games, you know, are all real. The Reapers, um, 
all the way to reasons, you know, the pleasure species and that kind of stuff. Now, my thing is, you know, how is it I can actually find a path forward and everything with all this and, uh, and also make it so where, A, I don't lose my mind, B, um, I retain control of my linear timeline, and C, um, go through the process of understanding um, of, of more or less retaining the concrete that's been poured for my world. Anyways, I'm playing a game right now. I'm losing my, uh, my thought process a little bit, but I'm going to get back to this thought a little bit. Okay. Um, sorry, that was like five minutes there. I was like involved in the uh, Magic the Gathering game. I play uh, play a lot of games, and I gotta. I like um, doing the podcasts or you know doing these discussions. I can't really call it a podcast, can I? Just a discussion. I mean, it is labeled as a podcast and everything, but it's kind of like a discussion, an open, free-form like discussion. If uh, if rappers actually had a, uh, you know, I'd be like doing this whole. I, I don't beatbox, and I fucking hate beatboxing lately. So, it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's kind of like rapping. Yeah, that's all I'm doing. I'm just rapping, yeah. Just shooting the shit, talking about nothing in particular, about everything in particular, and that kind of stuff. So, here's a question that I had. Last night, I had a really hard time sleeping and everything. And it's like, uh, sometimes my mind gets really, really, really spun up. Now, I understand perfectly well why a lot of species might choose to actually put their mind on hold, lend their minds to others and everything, to basically program, to give information to, etc., etc. Um, this, for me, is just a, a simple fact. I mean, there's some species that are collectively, you know, lending out their entire mind, um, you know, maybe as a country. You know, the United States lends its mind out to other countries and everything to do anything that you want to. You could demonize us. You could label us. You can go to war with us. We don't give a shit because we can erase, uh, erase our memories. We can, we can change time. We can create new material, you know, entertainment material and everything from the influences that you have. It doesn't matter to us. You know, and the same thing holds true for me, too. You can do anything that you want to with me, but ultimately my mind will keep on spinning around, you know, and, and find a path for me to move forward and everything on a daily basis, and uh, what you do is, is completely up to you. If you want to be a jackass to me, well, your mind is going to know what you're doing to me and the influences that you're doing to me as well, and uh, it, it'll it certainly shape some of the decisions and, and part of what you come out, you know, to, to be in everything. And uh, the person that you that you shape yourself to be, you know. So everything that you do as an individual, everything I do as an individual, shapes who I am and everything. So with that said, I've actually had to get to this point uh, where I I I looked at and, and understood, um, you know, and took into consideration why I'm being affected and everything like I was. Well, okay, so I'm presented with the situation and everything where there's two different versions, you know, of um, of Kelly, you know, on that TV show and everything. Now, let's say I've got the same thing working here in my world as well. You know, and I've got two different versions of Jackie. The Jackie that I like, that I'm actually spending time with and everything, and, and there's this other Jackie that's actually out there, quote-unquote, that's out there and everything. Well, one thing I would do is probably wouldn't, wouldn't introduce the two. You know, I, I don't want the 
you know, the, the old Jackie, you know, meeting a new Jackie or anything like that, you know, um, and, you know, what that means and how that, how that bodes out. Am I going to have to wait till the old Jackie passes away, you know, and I get the new Jackie and everything? I don't know. That's one possibility. It sounds like it's too much time for me to wait, though, and I really don't want to, don't want to wait that long, you know, so how is it if I'm actually constructing, you know, this possibility and everything? How is it I can actually tie up the loose ends, you know, myself? You know, um, one of the things I've realized, you know, when it comes down to behavior and people analyzing behavior, in particular, lying to people, um, is, is realizing self-consistency with behavior is the rule. It has to be the king. And uh, not only that, but self-consistency with the lies as well, as well. Consistency across the board with the individuals that you speak to. So in other words, if uh, I, I used to um, have problems, you know, when it came down to um, lying, you know, with the NSA and uh, having to work with the NSA and some of the things that I did and everything. And in a lot of cases, I, I ended up coming up with off-the-cuff lies uh, to explain, you know, what I was doing or who I was with or, you know, when I disappeared for, uh, for a day or something like that, you know, the t where I was, where I was spending my time and that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, you, you don't come up with the best of lies on, under improvisational, uh, even even adept liars don't come up with great improvisational lies. There's ways to actually peer through those. Now I'm I was around what I considered to be some pretty critical, some pretty good, you know, people that were actually good at uh, good at detecting lies and that kind of stuff. So what I ended up um, realizing, you know, one of the key things I ended up realizing was when I make up a story and everything. I have to make it believable to me. That's number one key. You know, so it, it is, when I'm telling a lie, you know, about something, um, it absolutely positively has to be something that I myself would buy, would, would accept. You know, so putting myself in their position and everything with the, with the knowledge that I have of me as a character and everything from my interactions that I've had with them and everything, um, I have to basically believe, make that lie believable to somebody like me. So the improvisational lying ended up getting to the point, you know, with me explaining away my, some of the things that I ended up doing with the, the NSA that I couldn't explain to some of the uh, other people and everything. That's actually where I took it. You know, I ended up uh, becoming pretty skilled, you know, at uh, the ability to be able to tell a lie, um, come up with something improvisationally and everything. And most of the time I had a, a little pot of things that I ended up uh, coming, you know, coming with. It's just like, oh, I'm working, you know, and uh, particularly, you you know, I had to, I had to actually take into account. This is rule number two: the interconnections of the relationships and how those interconnections can actually cross-reference each other. Now, this is something I actually had to, had to, had to be aware of. Um, Kenna, for instance, you know, she worked with me, and she would, con she would quite frequently go out with me and my friends, you know, and friends who I would often tell, you know, tell some of these lies to and everything. So I knew that if I told a lie, you know, to one of these friends and everything, and I made the excuse, the improvisational excuse of, of in the, within that lie, that it was something associated with work that actually made it so where um, I couldn't do or, or I, you know, that were the, the reason for this lie was there. 
I knew that if I if I told something, that if they ended up, and this is something I had to ponder in my mind throughout the course of this too, I knew they could potentially in the future cross-reference this, you know, and ask Kenna, you know, if I was actually at work because I worked with Kenna, and that can actually create holes and make it impossible for you know, for me to actually move forward, you know, and, and retain the, you know, retain the relationship and everything that I had with them. Well, you know, so think about it like this. Um, one, one day in particular, um, I ended up getting a call from, um, let's just say for lack of better purposes, an asshole uh, back east and everything for, uh, he was actually my managing director and everything. Now, we had problems with at this point um, with Wells Fargo already, and I was working at UTI at this point. And uh, throughout the course of this, um, I ended up uh, just going through and, you know, just having conversations with this guy. It was a Friday night, and uh, I had actually first got the first conversation, you know, with uh, when Jackie was there. Now, Jackie had literally just shown up when uh, all of a sudden, you know, I ended up getting this uh, this call from my uh, managing director telling me about some problems that are occurring over at Wells Fargo. Well, I explained to the guy, it's just like, look, I've got uh, got a woman over here and everything, and uh, I was trying to actually be buddy-buddy with the guy and everything, and I ended up um, more or less going through and just saying, I can't do work this evening. You know, I made it very clear. Well, he made it very clear that uh, I've got an obligation to fulfill. Um, the president himself is involved with this, yada, yada, yada. And at this point, I ended up saying, okay, whatever the fuck. Well, I, at this point, uh, pushed uh, Jackie away. I said, Jackie, I've actually got to work and everything. Um, you know, you can hang out here uh, or you can you know, go home, I said, I'll join you on occasion and everything, you know, I mean, it was cocaine, you know, so for me, it was just like, hell yeah, I wanted the girl to stay and everything, but I had to have, you know, I had to have the place, place to myself and to be able to do some of the things that I, that I needed to do and everything, and uh, at this point, she said, well, why don't, uh, you can do the work from my place, right? Um, why don't you come back over to my place and everything, and uh, I could just hang out in the balcony and everything while you're doing your work. So I thought about it, and I'm just like, okay, you know, let's go ahead and do this. And at this point, I did. So I ended up uh, taking my laptop computer. I ended up going over to Jackie's place, and Jackie actually ended up uh, hanging out on the uh, her back patio. It was just one of the weirdest nights that I've had with the girl. And um, as we're as I'm sitting there talking with my uh, my boss and everything, he asked me where I'm at. <laughs> So, for internal consistency and everything, I made it clear, you know, that I'm by myself and that I'm at my place, you know, so he seemed appeased by that answer and everything, so at that point, I'm, I'm helping him along with this stuff, and we're working together for, it's about an hour and a half and everything. Jackie comes in a couple times and everything, I, I excuse myself to the restroom and everything, and uh, Jackie uh, is in the back and we do a line, and, you know, all of a sudden I go back, I'm just hanging out at and talking to the guy and everything. And I didn't get the sense that he knew anything was going on or anything like that. You know, so for me, um, one of the things that, uh, you know, as I'm going through and doing this discussion and everything, I realized that uh, at this point that I'm not going to get this guy off the phone anytime soon or anything like that. And I end up saying, you know, saying to Jackie, you know, the next time I ended up excusing myself and everything, I said, I'm going to go take this back home. This is going to be an all-night thing. 
And she's like, okay. You know, she was a little bit disappointed and everything, but I ended up taking off and, and going back. So it's kind of funny, a little back and forth story and everything. Well, the whole time that I'm doing this and everything, not only does my director know that I've actually moved from my apartment over to Jackie's apartment, um, I've kept it on mute to basically make sure that he doesn't know the entire time that I've gone from my place to Jackie's and then back within an hour and a half and everything. He doesn't know. You know, now I end up putting it to a stop and everything. I'm trying to time the conversation with my driving. I'm taking back roads with the laptop and everything, too. And uh, at this point, I've got one of those, um, you know, AT&T wireless things that uh, allows me to actually be anywhere. So I can literally take the thing, you know, to the highest mountain and still, you know, still do this. Um, and for me, it's just like it was one of those things that, you know, to make things consistent, you know, I ended up making it so where, you know, he he had no clue where I was or anything like that. And I just, I wanted to spend time with the girl. That was my goal, was to spend time with the girl. You know, um, Jackie, I like I said it before, I love the girl and everything. So, what I'm talking about from an internal consistency perspective and everything was the expectation that I was doing as, as I was expected to do. And this is actually the expectation that I had set across the entire time with this, uh, with my managing director, who I was already having a fallen out with. You know, the guy was being an asshole, he was being dictatorial, um, he was just, uh, he was not being, um, not respecting me, you know, and uh, my time, and... Um, and it really came down to nights like this, you know, where it, it's nine o'clock at night, you know. Now, my thing is, I'm under contractual obligation. I can't say no. I can't say no to his request or anything like this. So, nine o'clock at night, you know, I'm just like going, okay, how do I satisfy both people at the same time? You know, or three people, myself, Jackie, and also this dude and everything. Ultimately, you know, it ends up causing a little bit of a problem and everything, and I ultimately end up going back, you know, but uh, not without actually spending an additional hour and a half with Jackie and everything that evening. So, so the moral of this story is from a, a, a lying perspective, you know, the consistency with my behavior and with my discussion and everything made it possible to actually pull the wall under his eyes and everything for an hour and a half and everything until I ended up going back to my place where I ended up continuing, you know, the investigation at that point. And funny thing was, by the time I ended up getting back, it took another half hour. And at that point, I ended up uh, inviting Jackie back over. And that's probably, what, about the fourth time I ended up getting laid with her. So it was just one of those fun nights and everything. It was just like, huh, okay, this is interesting. Now, and that's one, you know, one thing that I'm, you know, talking about. Now, what I'm talking about for for consistency, and and I'm leading this big, huge, you know, ideas and concepts out there for a reason. You know, just think about this from from a Kelly perspective on an Orville. Um, Kelly goes to a certain point in her life, and that certain point is the day after she ended up meeting the dude that she fell in love with. The day after, she wakes up. She's hungover. She doesn't know quite how to feel and everything. Now, at this crossroads, at this precipice, at this juncture of her life, she's got two, at least 
two distinct paths ahead of her. Erase everything you think you know about this this whole story. You know, the Orville depicts her as having been pushed forward and everything. That complicates the situation. Pretend it doesn't exist for a moment. And just pretend that she's got two different choices. One, to continue the relationship with, the, with him. Two, is not to continue. It really is that simple. You know, now, there's a whole different set of of stories of influential factors that actually come in there but she's got one of two primary options rather binary when it comes right down to it one she could just sit there and say I'm not interested and not realize where those int- less of interest, lack of interest come from or two I am now each one of these opens up infinite possibilities in the future. Infinite possibilities. This simple act of indecision and everything, this simple decision, I should say, creates infinite possibilities in the future. Infinite. You know, this seemingly binary choice opens up any number of different possibilities in the future, including time travel, the looping back to that moment in time. Um, and all this kind of stuff. Now, what I've realized is, when I podcast, when I throw this out there, um, I realize that I'm sending this out, and you could be hearing it, in the year 2409. Um, You know, through acquisition, you know, of maybe a time capsule, or maybe even recorded transcripts, or something like that, that, uh, that you're trying to figure something out, and everything. That's one possibility. Um, I realize that you could be listening to this in the year 1999. And uh, you could be living in a reality, in a world, that has some form of technology that can grab information from a future. Keep in mind this isn't the future, this is a future. No different than that year 2409 isn't my future. It's not the future, it's a future. Everything is relative. This is actually the one thing I had to understand. You know, that um, when it comes down to choice, the relativistic choices that anybody makes from an individual perspective and everything creates infinite possibilities. It really is that simple. I mean, and not only that, but I think the biggest thing, the most important thing to go through, to understand from an individual perspective. Is that any choice that you want is okay? Any choice. Me, I like structuring my choices in a way that makes logical and rational sense and doesn't define too much. the somewhat concrete reality that I have. I like... When they ended up going through that temporal anomaly, and a younger version of Kelly is put there, and they've got this whole dramatic sequence of events that actually occurs from there, that they're reacting to, 
I, I myself, that's the whole thing that I've kind of like gotten away from. I don't like reacting and having to react forcibly to nonsense that actually happens around me, the whole drama. You know, I don't mind a little drama, don't get me wrong. You know, but on a daily basis where you're dealing with weirder nonsense all the time and everything, I'm just not prepared and not, not wanting that. You know, and that's actually what this individuality is all about for me. I create the path. I look at it as the outside world, world's responsibility to go along with me. You're bored. You're trying to end this fucking planet. You've been trying to end this fucking planet since I've been alive. All I want to do is simply experience it. For the first time. I've never gotten to do that. You've simulated it. But you never actually gave me the opportunity to. So anyways... Self-consistency with their own decisions and everything, I think, is absolutely important. If you're going to be helping somebody and it's not consistent with your own own belief system and your own method of operation and everything, the way I look at it is, come up with a series of excuses, reasons, that ultimately align yourself with that which you really do want to help to make it impossible for you not to help them. Logically, analytically. That's how I've reasoned and logicized things. But make it self-consistent. That's the absolute key. So, here's another one. And this one's probably a little bit more tangible. Um, I had a time where I ended up... Um, trying to think of the exact sequence of events and everything. But, uh, basically, I ended up, um, I had to meet Bill Stokes and, uh, go see Transformers. And I, I had, I told him I had work obligations, and I had been up all night long. Well, I did have work obligations, but it was the, with the NSA and everything. And it's one of those instances where Jackie didn't come over and, uh, and Kenna wasn't around either. Now, this created a little bit of a problem, you know, with Kenna and everything. You know, because Kenna, I was working with, and Kenna had direct contact with some of my requirements and responsibilities and everything. So, at, at this point, um, I ended up pretty quickly having to, once I ended up uh, telling Bill this lie and everything, I ended up realizing I've got to come up with something that's believable, you know, with Kenna and everything. And it was just the week before I had actually had a, uh, a meeting with Jimmy Gonzalez, and this is shortly before I ended up taking off to go over to, um, to Hong Kong and Paris and all that kind of stuff and everything. So I ended up um, at this point, I mean, it was for the NSA, but I couldn't tell her that. You know, so instead what I ended up doing was I just, um, I ended up coming up with this idea and concept in my head that now, you know, I, um, ended up getting a call from Jimmy and, uh, Jimmy asked me to, uh, to, to put together something, 
more or less a proposition and everything and uh, and feed it to Nancy and everything and let Nancy send it back up to me. And uh, immediately, once I got done with the conversation and everything, I realized that I'd have I'd have Canada answer to if there was any conflict when it came down to um, when it came down to awareness of this event and everything and being caught in a lie. I didn't want Bill to think that I had actually bailed out on him, you know. And I had thought it seriously about going, but I was up all fucking night long, and um, I had been coked up in order to basically keep myself up and keep myself working and everything and uh, I was a hot fucking mess the next day you know a hot fucking mess you know so I was just wanting to go to sleep and everything Bill wanted to meet for um, to go see Transformers and I'm just like on I, I can't do it dude um, I, I was up all night and I'm just now going to be getting to sleep Bill was disappointed I was disappointed because I was being pushed and pulled in all, all manners and directions and everything with the NSA and with the bullshit that was going on with them and everything you know and the key example is what I mentioned before with uh, with um, you know Jackie now I ended up at this point, you know, telling Bill this lie. Once I got done with the phone, I immediately realized I've got to come up with uh, an excuse for Kenna. So that's when I ended up uh, coming up with the idea. It's just like, okay, I'd been, I'd already talked with uh, Jimmy once before. Um, I'd already talked with Nancy once before about uh, going overseas and everything. Now, what if I actually end up, um, you know, getting, you know, telling Kenna that uh, I got a call, and uh, it was from Jimmy and. Jimmy is, um, I knew Jimmy was unreachable for her, and that she couldn't cross-reference that source. I knew that. That's one thing I immediately knew. Um, so I devised, I devised this idea that I'd have Jimmy would be responsible, and Jimmy, uh, Jimmy ended up giving me a call, um, to ask me to put together a proposition and everything, and, um, you know, for uh, taking a trip to Europe or to uh, to help out the overseas facilities, and I was so excited, I wanted to get it finished and everything that weekend. So I immediately started working on it, worked on it all night long. Now that for me, isn't that far from the truth? She knew my enthusiasm, so my enthusiasm was absolutely consistent, absolutely consistent with my own behavior. So that absolute consistency is absolutely important in everything. So that's that's one key of the equation in everything, is self-consistency. Whenever you actually tell a good lie, always maintain self-consistency, you know, with your own behavior in that lie. Now, if you're telling about something that you wouldn't do and everything, or that you that you supposedly did, make it make it believable. But don't make it believable up to a point. Make it believable through all points. That's kind of the key. You know, so in this case here, I had, I had, you know, basically a source that I knew that she couldn't contact and that she wouldn't contact in order to cross-reference the information. I also knew that um, she would actually, you know, that if she were to question it, which kind of wasn't a questioning, I mean, she had this occasional nature that she, in a flippant way, weird way, she would question things and everything. You know, it seemed innocuous and everything, but to some degree it did feel like I was being checked up on occasion. I got a kick out of it. It was so cute, you know, endearing to some degree, but it was also something that also had me on my guard a little bit, too. So, anyways, the the lie became, Jimmy gave me a call that night and everything, and I ended up staying all, up all night long, and uh, I ended up, um, you know, helping out with that. Well, 
and I ended up putting this thing together in one night, and that's, you know, for me, I had to tell the lie, because I was beat fucking tired, and me and Kenna were supposed to go out on Saturday night, and I, I ended up building out on our date together, too. So, in any case, um, you know, the, the lie had to be consistent, so if Bill checked with Kenna, Kenna would validate what she said. Well, what it, what I what and what I told her. So, in other words, if Bill asked if I was working for some reason, if he was to ask Kenna if I was working, all she could do was answer yes. Well, yeah, I know he's been working with Jimmy and that kind of stuff, and as a result, you know, I know he's excited about it and that kind of stuff, and that would have been the that that would have been the end. I mean, it, it would have solidified solidified absolutely solidified poured the foundation and made it almost impossible for them to be able to detect. So I, I consider two things are absolutely critical, you know, and this is actually my training through the NSA. Two things are absolutely critical, you know, when it comes down to telling good stories or telling a good lie. And one is the story, and this is actually something this planet's taught me. Tell a, a believable story. Something that's consistent, not just with your behavior, but with the behavior of the people that are around you. Jimmy had a tendency to, you know, to tap people and to just basically work in kind of a subversive way on occasion. So, that's what I did. I mean, I ended up, I ended up uh, telling a story that just basically supported his personality 100%. Same thing happened for me and my, my uh, you know, the lie that I had with, uh, you know, with working, too. I wanted to travel. Everybody knows that. So I was consistent with my own behavior with the lie. And not only that, but I also created an impossible situation, or nearly impossible situation, that couldn't, Kenna couldn't cross-reference. In any case, the reason why I'm saying all this is when it comes down to perception perspective and everything, it, it's like Hitler. Hitler's easy to judge from an outside perspective and everything because what would motivate you as a person to kill that many people might be hatred. And that's actually the universally accepted reason why Hitler ended up doing what he did out of simple hatred. That's one excuse, one reason, one assessment of a dead person's motivation for doing what he did. Doesn't make it the accurate perception. And this is actually what we're, we're telling the story and understanding the branches in the story are so important. Let's do an analogy. Kelly is confronted with two with two choices. But there's a number of different reasons and motivations for that. Now ultimately, our collective is told a story that she goes back in time and she wakes up from a hangover and she makes a different choice than she did before. We don't know anything. We don't know the motivations behind this. We don't know if she has any memories, you know, of the prior event and everything. 
we don't know, or conscious memories, or even subconscious memories, things that are actually causing her to do this. We don't know what's pushing her to make this decision. We don't know what she's planning and the goals. I mean, there's, it's quite possible that she can have the goal from here. You know, that, um, hey, you know, I did something. Maybe she has memories, you know, conscious memories or something like that. Maybe she's just playing along. And maybe she realizes that there's something going on with the collective influences and everything, and she has to make a different decision than she did before to get what she wants. And that decision just comes down to saying no now. But what if it is, Ed, that she wants? She says no now to find another way to yes. That's one potential answer. And the same thing holds true for the whole situation with me, Tim. Ultimately, it didn't work out like I wanted it to with Jackie and Rachel. But let me be honest. I would have had just a normal relationship with these chicks, you know, and predicting out the possibilities with them was really kind of like, you know, the, the same old, same old, you know, for possibilities. Jackie, sure, I could have gotten married with her, but a couple years later, probably end up in divorce and everything because my past behavior had had set in um, a what I consider to be a, um, a nasty habit of basically leveraging somebody and enjoying somebody to the point that I actually got bored with them, and at that point, I moved on. Now, I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying this is a bad, a bad way of living or anything like that, you know, but the fact of the matter is, I was actually, um, I had realized and caught myself uh, getting to the point where I was sabotaging relationships and, and not liking the person that I was and, and, you know, not just the sabotaging, the self-sabotaging, but also the sabotaging the, of the uh, other person and everything. You know, Lisa was a key example of this too. I didn't like the, the look that I saw in her eyes of how I damaged her. You know, I felt guilty about that and everything. You know, and I saw two wonderful women and everything with Jackie and Rachel that I I saw the possibilities, you know, in the blink of an eye and in the time that we ended up spending. And the same thing held, tr held true for Kenna and everything. And I started realizing this guy that I am isn't who I want to be. And as a result, these women don't get to experience the man I want to be. But who is that man? That was, that was a question that was haunting me. And then I started discovering who it is. I've got the capability to be able to manipulate time. Everybody does, innately. If you want to. If you even know what co the concept of time is. In space. You know, be able to travel in much the same way Doctor Who can. These are the kind of adventures I want to take these women on. I want to do something different than I've ever done with any woman before, whether or not it's Donna or, or Lisa or, or Sandy or any of those girls, unfortunately, that, or, that I've had the fortune of being with. I've loved them, absolutely loved each one of them, you know, but it just, something, you know, in me made it so where it just didn't work out and everything, and that's actually something I had to actually understand. I had to give myself confidence. I had to go through this understanding, self-understanding, that the world around me is, is a creation of my own hand and everything, of my own mind especially, just like yours is with you. 
you know, your interpretation of light and how it actually is applied to this world isn't a mathematical construct unless you want it to be, you know. And even then, you're going to see glitches in that framework and everything, you know, because of your attempt to actually take an abstract thing and actually apply a, a binary methodology of actually perceiving it. You know, concrete, uh, you know, that translation from abstract to concrete doesn't come without its fair share of holes. And sometimes those holes are big enough to drive tractor trailers through. But um, the thing that I've realized, you know, throughout all of this and everything, you know, was that those relationships that I had, those women, I've got this, what I consider to be an anchor, an anchor point in time. When I first met Kenna, and the first night that I ended up having, that uh, she and me and her ended up making out, some of the most awesome, passionate kissing and everything, and I've also got another anchor point too, a night that we ended up, um, really, what I consider making love. It wasn't just sex, it was making love over in London. Most phenomenal experience that I've ever had with that woman and everything. Same thing for the anchor point for, uh, for you know, for Rachel. Anchor points the, uh, the night that I ended up coming over, and she ends up giving me a blowjob on, on her patio. You know, I, at this point, just had the confidence and everything to basically push it and say, I want you. I believe that you want me. I don't know why, but I know I want you. And the two of those combined are enough to actually make this night work. No matter what constraints and rules and laws and all that kind of stuff and everything, try to actually defy that. So when I ended up going over to her house that night and everything, it was a surreal experience. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. You know, it's not that much different than the anchor point that she actually appeared. You know, she walked over to my house and everything and, you know, she <laughs> decided to strip out, you know, strip naked and everything, barely knowing the girl. I don't know why she did it. So I made up a backstory. And the backstory is a woman that's a time traveler that gets into a time traveling loop and everything in the year 2409 that's on board something called the USS Phoenix ends up entering the simulation and she realizes that she's been temporally displaced because she met somebody. that she wants to play a part in, that there's a conjoined experience here. And while this world tried to create a one-size-fits-all equation story, in much the same way, I joined and made sure that the story that I told Bill was consistent with the story that I told Kenna, and that that consistency couldn't be, you know, couldn't be doubted. I can't say it was impossible. There's other ways. I mean, Kenan could have uh, could have talked to Jimmy. She could have had a relationship with Jimmy. I was I was completely unaware of. You know, saying it's impossible for her to actually check the facts and everything isn't true. You know, it's always possible. So yeah, she could have talked talked to Jimmy to find out that uh, that I was lying, and then she could have communicated that result to Bill. It could have put it could have crumpled that entire thing, but uh, here's the thing: I had an experience with Rachel and everything, and I'm telling myself the story, and I like this story, you know that this this woman, you know, is teaching me about time, and we're figuring out a method to basically bridge it. She understands. She likes the fact that uh, that I have other interests and in other women and everything, and she doesn't like the whole antiquated concept of one man, one woman, and everything. She likes her job. 
you know, so when it comes right down to it, she doesn't mind, you know, that I have extracurricular activities and everything that may exist in women and everything that she actually plays a part in with their life and everything as well. Rachel's not inconsistent with her personality to want to please people. Whether or not it's children, or whether or not it's actually a, a couple other women and everything that maybe look up to her because of what she has to offer. It's not completely inconsistent for her to actually want other people in her life. What I consider to be more inconsistent is the whole structured one man, one woman thing for everybody across the board. It just doesn't work for some people. Not some people being me. And Kenna. I look at her, and her eyes are drooping. She's the same way with the man that she's with right now. At least it was with me towards the end. I love the idea of opening up Kenna's mind to the possibilities. Of basically creating an influence in her life and her mind to supply her subconscious information to basically make it so where she can lead any life that she wants to. Kenna was constantly fishing me for information about how I think and why I think the way I do. Constantly. And I'm constantly questioning where these, these things come from. I'd always assumed it was an external influence to her, and I saw exactly what I wanted to see. I didn't believe Kenna had this capacity within her, but she did, the whole time. So for Kenna to be okay with reversing time, or letting me have my own timeline so I can experience time with her, as this person that actually is inquisitive, that wants to understand the mind and minds of others a little bit more, it's completely consistent with her. And alternative perspectives? What I'm asking isn't 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 inconsistent with that. And finally, you got Jackie. Jackie's a partier. An experiencer. I think the the two go hand in hand. She always said yes whenever I said let's go here and of course I paid for it and everything. But that's just what her personality is. There's absolute consistency with me asking her. That original personality and everything. Erase the memories of... You know, some of the self-doubt I had that was reflected in her, which ultimately corrupted our relationship and our intimacy. And instead, just basically get the woman that was there the entire time and everything that actually cared about me, that wanted to spend time with me, and that actually did enjoy me physically, despite the fact that I wasn't enjoying myself. I mean, I enjoyed myself, but the thing was, I kind of judged myself from external perspective and everything, and unfortunately, I superimposed that belief system onto her, and at that point, it caused the corruption of her relationship. And it came down to it needed to be corrupted because I wasn't the man that I wanted to be. The man I wanted to be had, the, had command of time, had the capability to be able to go across space and time, doing any number of different things and everything, and ultimately gathering them all. You know, like toys. And ba basically saying, here's a journey we're going to be going on. It's no different than Kelly. She's confronted with the choice. 
But let's say, for purpose of illustration and everything, we're looking at her mind rather than her physical body being split. And her mind, now, can roam free, can actually try both things out. Maybe even potentially more. Creates an anchor point in that space and time and everything, if she wants to. Until she figures out, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what choice she wants to make. Will I ever see what that choice is? Probably not. But I know that I could have contributed to that information pull. She's not just a fictional character. She's a real character in an alternate reality. And the reason I heard that what I did you know, from that may not necessarily have been for me, but for the outside world around me that needed to hear that. Anyways, shower time. I was thinking about something just now. It can actually be pretty cool, in my opinion. Now, it's my belief that there's a multiverse. Um, and it's not just a belief, it's just I've found plenty of evidence to you know, to say, to show that it's there and all this other stuff and everything and, you know, to some degree it's just like <sighs> so anyways um, I play my video games and um, I've been playing them pretty much my entire life and each one entails manipulating this avatar, more or less on a string you know, this digital character that's more or less a representation in most cases of a human or humanoid that's projected into a um, three-dimensional space which I interact with through a two-dimensional screen um, by leveraging devices like a mouse and a keyboard and that kind of stuff. Now, up until the last couple of years, I had never really considered, you know, that there's actually living minds, you know, living people behind um, the avatars that I'm actually laying around. You know, um, I, had n I had never considered that. And then something ended up happening to me. Um, I had actually, uh, while I was working over at um, Wells Fargo, um, we... I was pulling way too many hours, and um, I ended up uh, getting to the point where I I had a hard time, you know, seeing, believing, <laughs> without going there or anything like that. Um, I, at that point, I had a virus ended up striking my computer, um, but at the same time it struck my computer, um, it struck basically eight of them all at the same time, I ended up having to turn the computers off and everything, and at that point, um, I'm just like going, what the fuck is going on? So I ended up turning, um, turning them all off, and all of a sudden, boom, one comes back on, two of them, three of them come back on, and it's just like, oh, this is fucking trippy. Now, I had had an incident where I ended up going to, uh, to China, um, over to, uh, Beijing to interview for a program manager position, something I talked about before and everything, and that had only happened about, um, two to three months before then, so this is about November of, no, it was about, um, January of 2011. And uh, this this was about three months later, and having the devices turn on, um, I ended up having this really weird event happen while I was over in China. I was actually in my room, and um, this one hotel and everything, and all of a sudden my phone just 
turns on. You know, now I've made sure that this thing, you know, isn't uh, isn't on, and I'm just like, oh, that's kind of bizarre. And I had I had actually turned it off before because I had you know when I ended up getting back from the hotel room, I realized that the phone was on, and it's just like, oh shit, you know. And I didn't, I I could have sworn I had turned it off when I ended up leaving the states and everything. So when I ended up getting to uh you know to uh Beijing and ended up getting to the hotel room, all of a sudden I look over and I realize that the phone's actually it it had it had turned itself back on right after I had shut it down, maybe 15 minutes afterwards. Well, this is fucking bizarre, I thought. You know, really weird. And I took a look at it, and as I'm looking at it, looking for processes and everything that could actually have turned it back on, um, at this point I ended up seeing data charges. And um, the, the thing was going through the fucking roof when it came down to how much data was going through the thing. And I'm just like, oh my fucking god. You know, because data, data charges over in China are really astronomically expensive and everything. So I'm just like, no, no, no. So at this point, I turned it off again. Now, at this point, I'm really, really starting to wonder, you know, did this thing really turn itself back on? So I'm paying attention, and I shit you not, within five minutes of me turning it off, boom, it comes right back on again. And I'm, I'm talking about this thing is all the way off. Well, I ended up um, doing some research later, and I discovered something called boot P, and it's basically a signal that could be sent through network, and there's various different ways to actually wake a device up on, on a LAN. Um, I didn't know the same thing was possible through cell phone networks and that kind of stuff, and that's actually what, what ended up happening with this thing. But... Um, as I'm sitting there going, oh, what the fuck's going on and everything, I'm looking at the data charges, and at this point, I just took the battery flat out, and I just said, okay, you know, this isn't good, this is not good news and everything. So I ended up getting back, and I ended up uh, getting a, <laughs> a bill from Verizon for $3,000, and I'm just like, you know, I ain't paying this damn bill. You know, I explained how I turned the phone off several times and everything, and um, I I had actually, the moment that I got back, I ended up reporting into Verizon and everything. They're just like, well, you know, you could bring the phone down to us and everything, and we'll take a look. And I'm just like, okay. So I ended up taking it down to the Verizon site, and sure enough, the damn thing would restart back up and everything. And uh, once, once I, you know, at this point, they ended up doing a full wipe, you know, of the thing. And um, this is a... Um, it was a BlackBerry that I was using and everything, and uh, well, I had a BlackBerry and an Android, so they they took a look at the both the things that I ended up having, and um, they ended up doing a full wipe of both of them completely, and it's just like, okay, this is guaranteed to get rid of any viruses that are actually on the system and everything. I said, okay, well, that's kind of cool. So I'm just like, <laughs> at this point, a little skeptical, and uh, I'm not shitting you know, I say within um, minutes, you know, of me leaving Verizon and everything, you know, um, the phone actually started acting up again, showing some of the behavior that uh, it's flaking out and it's got some of the problems that it's got and it's starting back up again. And I'm just like, okay, this is really weird. So I knew Verizon wasn't any help, and I knew something was within their network and everything. So at this point, I ended up taking the thing home, and I'm just like, okay, Verizon doesn't understand and everything. Now, I, I suspect this is up to me to discover and everything. So I ended up taking a look at the system. <laughs> 
and uh, ended up slicing and dicing it, and uh, ended up uh, discovering that um, that latent within both phones, and I suspect within a lot of phones within the United States and everything, maybe even potentially abroad, there's uh, there's basically a piece of software that actually runs that that lets a device connect to any network around it, and uh, it and through that connection, um, it can actually piggyback and jump to other machines from there. So what happens happens is it, it basically creates a map of the networks that's actually around it. And uh, once it's actually gone through this, this process called discovery, um, it'll actually leave a dormant piece of software that actually responds, wakes on command is what they refer to it. And um, it'll actually respond and wake up on command um, from anywhere. And uh, so what it does is it catalogs the machines. It basically says, yes, we've got an Android here. We've got, um, you know, we've got... Uh, a Windows operating system and you know what flavor of Windows it has running. It's got an Apple, Mac OS, it's got Unix, uh, all the different flavors and everything. So it'll go through and it just basically cycles through all the potential intrusions once it actually gets onto a machine and it figures out all the network connections that are actually established from that machine and then from there It'll actually go and say, okay, you know, this one appears to be a Unix machine, this one appears to be a Windows machine, and it'll go through a laundry list of all the different, um, more or less, uh, vulnerabilities um, that's actually on that operating system and everything. So that that includes something called zero days. And uh, it'll actually target that until it actually finds something that works. So it sees something like all the ports that are actually open for a specific machine um, once it does a port scan. And at that point, it turns around and, and then jumps to, you know, it, it it embeds itself into, you know, the operating system at a kernel level once it's actually gotten admin access, like leveraging the exploit. And uh, at that point, it uh, it just leaves a little piece of it left over for more or less for later consumption and everything for later use. Now, the whole purpose to this thing is to basically have 100% penetration for every computer system in the world. And um, the virus originally was created by the NSA. Um, I wasn't part of the team and everything, and I found out about it later. Um, the virus was originally created by the NSA. Um, the um, Israelis ended up getting wind of this program. They ended up co-opting it a little bit and ended up creating something called Stuxnet. And uh, what they ended up doing was they weaponized it. Now, the, the virus was originally you know, created as a uh, proof of concept. <laughs> It was, can, does this, you know, idea, does this concept actually work? You know, is it possible, you know, to create a, a tiny little virus, something that, that basically remains dormant in most machines, you know, and then... Once it gets to that machine and everything, the first thing it does is an inventory of basically everything around it, you know, and then, you know, at that point, once it's done the inventory of all known machines, it'll go through and actually launch an exploit selectively on every single machine that's actually locatable within that. Well, wash, rinse, repeat. It just keeps on spreading itself out and keeps on going to every single machine until it has 100% penetration. Now, what it does is it also forms, you know, this idea and concept called the neural network. Um, it, it does it through this... Um, 
peer-to-peer -peer networking and this is actually you know something that was exhibited within torrents um originally tor the tor network um what was it the other one the p2p type stuff rapster napster was the name of it and everything all these are peer-to-peer -peer networks and everything and uh this is actually how it stored the information so all the vulnerabilities all the different possibilities and, and, and inner combinations and everything are contained um within the cloud itself of peers that actually distribute all the information and everything. You know, so something can actually have, you know, be dormant and actually, you know, have a little extra storage space on it and everything and boom, you know, next thing you know, it uh, has the capability to be able to be used as a, you know, as, as a site for storing information and that kind of stuff. Um, anyways, where I was going with this was um, I ended up going through this massive, massive you know, just issue, trying to figure out what the fuck this thing was and what it does. And um, I ended up, you know, really ended up realizing that um, this virus that I had caught, um, there's a version called Stuxnet that uh, had come out, then there's a, a derivative called Dooku, and this was a distant ancestor of that. I literally caught something that more or less um, had evolved. It had gotten to the point where it was so good at what it did, it can slice through 512-bit, 1024, 2048 RSA security like the snap of a finger. And I saw it firsthand, and I'm just like, holy fucking shit. You know, I had a Wells Fargo system with um, his banking system. And um, I actually was banking computer and everything. Now, it was on a VPN to Wells Fargo when it all it had was an external connection to my network and it used that network to actually go over the VPN. Now, mind you, I did not put any USBs on this thing. Um, I did not have any um, software whatsoever um, that I had installed on it or anything like that. It was a Wells Fargo clean machine. And I shit you not that that machine sliced through the security of that within a millisecond. It happened literally right in the blink of an eye. I saw it. I mean, literally, I saw it was weird because what it did was it actually rooted the entire operating system like that. Now, I didn't understand how something could do it that fast. It made no logical, rational sense. I saw the GUI itself had changed ever so subtly, like a glitch and everything. Now, at this point, I'm, you know, I'm really kind of tripping. You know, I mean, I've, I've had no sleep, you know, trying to catch these, this thing and everything. Um, I have this event happens that just basically, it has me in awe, but it has me in utter fear at the same time in my life. And everything and all of a sudden I'm just like going I'm I'm feeling like a little child with this thing so in any case um, I ended up uh, I ended up tracing it down and I found it and I found you know I reverse engineered the entire damn thing discovered you know what it was about and everything and um, at that point, I ended up uh, taking it and, and running as fast as I possibly could up to the NSA with two disabled devices and everything. Um, that uh, that you know, I ended up taking and wanting to take through the front door.
and uh, just basically saying, look, I've got the virus and everything. Um, you guys need to do something about this. Put some of your best guys on it because that's how important this is. And um, I was already kind of on the outs with them anyways. So my, I ended up talking to my boss from the front gate and everything. And he's just like, look, he goes, um, just let it go. He goes, we're, you know, th things aren't aren't looking good here, you know, as far as, you know, your your stay here for obvious reasons, you know, and, and they knew I was taking issue with the fact that they hadn't paid me and everything, and um, at this point, I'm just like going, okay, I said, I consider this a matter of national security, you know, um, it's this important and everything. And uh, he just made it clear they just didn't care. They just flat out weren't interested. And I'm just like, okay. Well, what I learned later was that that penetration of the machine was so pervasive that it, in a literal sense, it actually got on board the computers and everything on my on my Lexus. Um, I learned that it leapfrogged from there through the open connection and actually went through FM radio waves to infect in the NSA. And I also learned that this has this had 100% penetration of the NSA afterwards. Now, I don't say this to try to scare anybody. I say this because this is some of the way that I get my information about the about the state of affairs that's going on there, you know, and also pretty much around the world and everything for not just that organization, but for every organization that's working around the world. And more than that, too. You know, so, and the, the way that I receive the information isn't through binary methods. You know, it's, um, it's through energy. You know, there's an interconnection in energy and everything. And uh, I'm getting a feed that's not that much different, you know, than a, a normal conversation. You know, um, I just... I just know that I'm receiving information and everything, and that um, that information's coming in such a way that just doesn't make sense. So, going back to the whole avatar concept. Humans themselves are an endpoint. Um, this is something that that evolved virus ended up letting me know. That humans themselves are an actual endpoint and they are considered a machine to this very, very, very sophisticated virus. Now, you might say that this is a product of the futuristic civilization known as the Borg. Um, and you probably wouldn't be that inaccurate, you know, with that assessment and everything. And um, when it comes right down to it, you know, they, they learned, or can't really say they, this virus learned how to assimilate passively and make it so where you can actually control a human subject and everything in much the same way that you do a robot and everything. And it's a passive thing. You know, so if you ever wonder why there's been so many viruses and everything that have actually, you know, gone throughout the human population and everything, well, that's a part of the reason for it. You know, HPV or um, AIDS or whatever. There's so many dormant viruses that actually lay within your system and everything. Eh, and eventually, when it goes undormant, boom. At that point, you become more or less an avatar on a stick. Now, I actually had this happen. That whole run that I ended up doing, fleeing up to, you know, to the NSA and everything, I was that puppet on a stick. And then, one of the weirdest things happened. I heard, the, I heard that voice. 
this weird voice as I was about 20 minutes away from the NSA where the sense of calm and serenity washed over me and everything. And it said, good doggy. Well, I think to some degree I had to actually unlearn some of what I thought I knew about binary systems. I had to understand that there's an interconnection with energy between machines and, and systems. You know, and, and just because something's referred to as binary doesn't necessarily make it that much different than a human. Um, the way that a human thinks and everything, in many cases, is, is just as black and white as a machine. I mean, I, I speak from personal experience and everything. You know, and to some degree, it depends on the mind, too. The mind can actually perceive things in a very binary way. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. But as I sit there and I look at this avatar that I've got on the left side of the screen, it's in a futuristic civilization in the year 2409, and uh, the avatar is a, uh, a, a little woman. Her name is Kenna Patel, and uh, she's you know, more or less a Starfleet officer and everything, and you know, I've got her running around you know, the uh, um, space station that's orbiting Earth. Now, that's one perspective. And then, off to the right-hand side, I've got something called real-life cam. It's basically a series of cameras, you know, that are set up in people's homes and places all around the world. You know, so it goes from the United States to Russia to the Ukraine to Romania to um, France to Spain. I've seen cameras in pretty much, I, I'll go so far to say probably a third of the countries of the world and everything. Now, I can guide the avatar over here. You know, can I? And I can move her around and tell her to do anything that I want to and everything. Somebody pushed me around, guided me around. And while I didn't like it, I also came to understand the world from a very, very, very different perspective over the following years. I received an education. I also received an education in the multiverse. You know, and that one person's idea of reality and what they see and experience and everything, particularly through digital channels, may not be one and the same that's experienced by somebody. And not only that, but you have relativity. You know, which basically says that the time and the progression of time relative to each individual, relative to each other, doesn't necessarily always coincide. For instance, Amy. Amy Newton was somebody that I was married to. I saw an older version of Amy Newton, somebody that had advanced 45 years in age and everything when I first got up here to, uh, to Vancouver. 45 years over a period of five years relative to me. Now, at first I thought this is just a part of all the hallucinations and everything. And all of a sudden I started thinking, no, this is just the universe kind of letting me know. Look, I've sacrificed so much for, you know, for doing what's right by what I believe to be these external observations of collective behavior and everything. And I've cornered myself. I put myself into a literal box because there's, in a sense, there's nothing I can do to appeal to the entire entirety of the collective. Nothing. Not one damn thing. That's disabled me, and it's made it so where it's impossible for me to actually make decisions. You know, until I started just basically saying, you know what, fuck it. That avatar that I see off to the left-hand side and everything, you know, it's a cartoonish-looking character. But on 
the right-hand side of the screen, I see people walking around. Now, while I don't want to maneuver them around in the same direct fashion that I would Kenna, I like the idea of basically talking to the screen and saying, you do this, you do that, and they obey. Now, whether or not that, that influence actually comes through a dormant virus that actually lies within them, you know, or I'm seeing something on the screen that's updated specifically for me, it doesn't matter how it feeds back to me. I like the idea of exercising control. The same level of control that I have of, over a game, I could have on what's perceived to be a real world, but I know it isn't. It's just basically it's one slice of the digital reality that's out there. Is this my world? Not necessarily. I know it's a potential window into an alternate reality and everything that looks... You know, I mean, it's all the different, the language is different, you know, and for all intents and purposes, it really could be over in Russia. But for all intents and purposes, it could also be a different version of America, and I'm simply looking in my backyard, you know, where the Russians actually took over. I don't fucking know. All I do know is, I like the idea, particularly when my mom and dad go to sleep and everything, I didn't like being the puppet on the string, because I lived as that puppet on the string my entire life. And being... being referred to as a little doggy. I just didn't like that. I feel like everybody has a propensity to become a zombie to some degree, to fall asleep mentally. Particularly when there's no influence, external influence. Let's say you are in your self-contained world and everything. And that's actually why I like these ideas and concepts. These people have demonstrated themselves, have put themselves out there. Now what if there's a feedback system that they're not quite aware of and everything, and let's say there's influences on their actions that actually come from somebody like me, who chooses a different life path. I don't mind directing. <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know, to think about. The reason I say it's funny is just because I was manager and, you know, I'd given myself a promotion to director. Just because they weren't, uh, nobody was giving me a promotion, I figured... I've got to give myself the promotion. What if that's not that far from the truth? What if true leadership... What if the Klingons have something right? And true leadership is, is taken. It's not given. It's taken from somebody that doesn't want to give it to you. Or something. Or, plain and simple. Maybe not from something or someone, but maybe it's just the gift that you give to yourself when you realize, 
you don't have to be held responsible for your actions if you know how to manage those interactions. Mentally. Me? I'm going to tell people to do things just simply for my own entertainment. Maybe I want to see them naked. Maybe I want to see them do things that are outside normal behavior and expectations. I'm looking at house cams anyways. Wouldn't be that deviant from standard behavior within some of these house cams anyways. So, I like the idea of deviating some of that and just while I happen to be watching. You, you and you. Take off your clothes. Have a threesome right now. Hmm. Slowly but surely, energy starts shifting that way. You know, this quote-unquote dormant virus influences them chemically to basically cause the libido to rise cause attraction between the three and boom all of a sudden they're going at it right there I'm a director much the same way a Hollywood director like M MCG or anybody like that might be it's not the director I anticipated becoming but I'd certainly actually enjoy this idea of being a director much more than the director of an IT place and everything that seems like work this Seems like it's potential for both entertainment and a little bit of fun. I like the idea of doing it just because it's it's taking charge. It's being a boss. It's not just suggesting somebody do do something, but it's actually telling somebody. I've been a programmer for years. Never really working with people, you know, from a managerial perspective and everything. I simply told bits and bytes what to do. And for me, this is a promotion. Those bits and bytes are now humans. So in that avatar that I lead off to the left-hand side through direct channels, maybe this is just a little bit more indirect method. Maybe it seems like you have a little bit more free will with the decisions and everything. And I'm not out to trump that and actually say you don't have free will. But what I am trying to demonstrate is that maybe not all actions are based on free will. Maybe not all instincts and choices are based on free will. Maybe the drugs somebody takes, you know, these guys are going into the back room and everything that I'm watching right now, taking cocaine. Maybe they're sitting there leaking through energy you know, of cocaine, and that all comes through the computer, that all of a sudden, boom, goes to them, influences their behavior, and they're doing exactly what I tell them to, just because I told, told them to, and that, the influence comes through the cocaine itself. That's one possibility. Something else I thought of today, too, on a completely different note. I was watching, um, I was thinking about, um, Retasking the Borg. What if... What if they... were responsible for abductions, but instead of it being from the outside, as horrific as most people might think it is, instead, it's done. as a form of time travel. Let's say I'm, I want to travel to the year 2409 and everything. 
I had a point when I was doing everything, and uh, I wasn't, you know, happy. I was just experimenting with the drugs and everything, um, where I had the weirdest experience where it felt like something was outside my room, scanned me, and it felt like my skin burned from it. It was really kind of one of the most bizarre feelings I've ever had. I mean, there's a potential story there that I was actually read into in collective mind. Have you ever wondered about cryogenics? Waking up 400 years later? Maybe that's what goes on. It's from the outside, from the inside. It's just nothing more than a way to time travel. The Borg are, not, are doing nothing but picking up the the separate versions of me that are out there. All to make it so where, boom, I can move forward in time to the point that I want to. The collapse of the uh, wave function, if you will, is the emergence of me from simulation, or maybe, you know, the the potential story being told in the future where I'm being liberated. Yeah, you've been you've been within the collective for four hundred years and we're just now liberating you. What they don't understand is my perspective. My perspective is, well, that's one perspective. The other perspective is I made some choices and I was pretty bored and as a result I've re I forced the universe's hand and the universe took control and said, okay, if that's what you want, we'll figure out a way to shift you forward in time. I get an experience, you know, that basically lets me spend some time with my mom and dad and, you know, my family and everything. And to some degree, it's a programmed experience because I also get to get to let go at the same time as well without it being dramatic and nasty. Instead, it's kind of like a, a blanket or a bandage being torn off slowly with a lot of labor and a lot of care. And slowly but surely, as that bandage unravels itself, sure, I feel a little pinpricks here and there, but all of a sudden, I start realizing the reason why I understand what I do about time and space isn't because I'm a man out of time. It's because I'm a man that's being put back into time, into the location that I've always dreamed of. The Borg is a systematic computing process type thing within the matrix of reality, or an external perspective of something that most people don't understand and probably don't ever want to understand. To me, it's a method to be able to retain my memories and slowly but surely move to a point in time and experience some things that I want to still continue experiencing and everything without feeling the separation anxiety that I feel whenever I traveled before. It got easier to travel, don't get me wrong, before.
But if all of a sudden I slowly but surely started getting hints and clues that I'm actually on, I don't know, the starship and I'm going through the process of liberation. I think that would be actually pretty cool. I mean, I'm at a point where it'd be cool to come back and see my mom within a my mom and dad within a holodeck type simulation every once in a while, and knowing what I know about reality, I wouldn't dismiss them as simulation. I'd know the interconnected nature of time in a relative sense. I'm gonna make it so I can go home and go to sleep every night. I think that would actually be cool. I've pondered the the idea of cryogenic sleep and everything for a long time. Maybe this is why. Maybe my mind was just basically trying to find a way to move forward. It's like uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. There's two perspectives there, at least. There's a perspective of the person that actually... of the bomb, you know, the, the ones dropping the bomb. To them, it looks horrific. Then there's a perspective of the person that actually went through it. Maybe they wanted it. Maybe... It was a way for them to become something completely different. And they had to externally influence the United States to do what they did. I had always asked the question, why did Japan, such a small country, with so much to lose, attack the United States logically, rationally, this just doesn't make sense. The United States had much more firepower. If you listen to it, you found out that they're on the precipice of, of having some really great weapons. It's my belief to some degree. This was Japan's way of trying to commit suicide. The kamikaze. It's just yet another example. I myself, I tried taking my own life out in the desert and everything. The reason I tried taking my own life is because I thought, I mean, I, I look at and regard my world as beautiful. You know, it's just like my mom. Just like I mean, half the people I've come across in my life and everything. Look at them as beautiful. as intriguing. They're not perfect or anything like that, but there's a lot of beauty here. But I didn't realize that there, the beauty itself wasn't just a, a naturally, uh, seemingly naturally formed desert. It's also a Terminator world. It's also a fairy tale, tale world. It's also a Borg world. It's also a world where people run around naked. It's also a world that looks pretty similar to the one that I see. 
with the exception that everybody within it listens to the TV and the cameras and they do exactly what they're told by the people that tell them what to do all these worlds and more they exist holodeck that's going to be my my way to keep grounded it'll be my way of keeping in touch with my friends the ones that I've, I thought I had lost at one point and I'm not going to feel like I'm, they're not real like they're a program because of what I've seen I know the interconnectedness and everything and relativity and how it applies I'm not going to go and tear them up or go to war I'm going to go spend the time that I wanted to with them to begin with and everything potentially change their opinion of me Some of them I might tell that I actually found a way to move to the future. That's where I'm spending my time, just hanging out on board a spar starship, trying to inspire, you know, people. Maybe meet a captain that acted like he's not no longer with us. Maybe be captain myself one day. Maybe attend Starfleet. Maybe teach at Starfleet temporal theories. Just like I know that there's something not necessarily wrong with the world today, I know that time and the way people are moving around and do things around me, something has dramatically changed from how it was just seven or eight years ago relative to me. And that tells me something was different in the energy. Now I'm asking you. That's what I want to be. That's why I call myself Q. One day I will be able to snap my fingers. More I'm exposed to the holodeck when I start being able to have those experiences and everything. My mind will slowly but surely get used to it. Will slowly but surely become accommodated acclimated to it and my mind slowly but surely through three to three dimensional experience within a holodeck and everything will find a way to introduce me to how to actually make, take that first step of a controlled experience I don't call the shifting forward in time, you know, through the use of liberation story and all that kind of stuff, a controlled way. It's basically just, that's different. You know, that's an indirect way. I'm talking about the direct way. Snap my fingers, be anywhere, anytime. But to those of you in the future and everything, or your future you're the future relative to my time that's being contained in this world and everything 
I don't know. I think you get a little work ahead of you. <laughs> ahead of you. I would. Oh, shit. It's saying it's not recording. This is fucked up. Hopefully it is. We'll see. So, in any case, I'm going to end it now. One of the things that uh, I've noticed is um, watching the uh, show now versus watching a show uh, when it first aired or when I first watched it um, is especially if it uh, tends to be 10 or more years, um, is substantially different, and sometimes in ways that just first didn't make sense. So, for instance, I'm watching Voyager again, as usual. Um, season 4, episode 8. Um, it's called Year of Hell, part 1. Now, they gave a hint to this episode uh, coming out. Uh, they actually had dialogue that uh, discussed the upcoming Year of Hell. Um, well, it was actually in early in, in Season 3. So it's really interesting that uh, they either had all this, uh, all the shows mapped out, or they at least had something, you know... I don't know, I mean, or there's other explanations. And um, another explanation is that uh, this is actually depicting real-world events and everything, how they happened in a linear, uh, or in a, from an external perspective, observing a, the formation of a linear reality. Now, one thing I ended up uh, seeing that I, uh, in this particular episode that I found intriguing is the depiction of time. Now, in this episode, there's a, a species, they're called the Cranum, and uh, they're going around, and they're interested in dominating and, and quote-unquote, restoring their former glory and uh, bringing themselves back to 100% uh, ownership of the universe and everything. And uh, they're just more or less targeting um, different opposing civilizations. They've got one particular civilization in particular that they're just totally interested in eradicating. And uh, they've got temporal weapons. So they've got the capability to be able to target a city. And the city, in a literal sense, is quite literally erased from existence. And no record, historical record, of this actually even there. So not only that, but the memories of people are altered. And uh, what they're finding is that very little things are causing massive ripples throughout, uh, throughout time. Now, this is where it gets interesting for me. So the Cranum are doing this to the cities, and they are actually outside of quote-unquote normal time and space and everything, so they're actually observing this. And they've been doing this for 200 years, you know, so their solitary goal is the restoration of their civilization. And um, as they're doing this, uh, they end up, uh, the Voyager ends up having some really interesting encounters where they first come across what looks like a freighter, um, then all of a sudden a temporal wave hits, and all of a sudden now, um, nobody, uh, on the Voyager sees the disruption in time, and instead they're, they're 
facing a Krenum warship. So instead of having a, a simple Krenum uh, freighter that has absolutely no power to it, now all of a sudden they're, fo they're fighting against a massive warship that's really doing some serious damage with something called chronometric, uh, chronometric weapons. And these chronometric weapons have the ability to be able to pierce um, any shields, any any uh, external barriers and everything to directly penetrate a ship by using something called phase variants. So they're actually phase variants. Uh, the temp they're temporal. It's called the temporal phase variants, and that temporal phase variants has it uh, offsetting itself in time and everything using relativity. That's how relativity would function, and uh, it, it literally slips right by the shields. And uh, makes it so where it can actually hit the uh, the intended target without actually uh, by completely circumventing the shields. Now, this is for me where it gets kind of interesting. Um, the the Voyager crew on the Voyager, Chakotay, and particular seven of nine, and uh, I think it's Kim, um, might be Belana. Uh, they end up uh, creating something called a temporal shield, and that temporal shield um, shields them from the chronometric, uh, chronometric weapons, which more or less makes it so where now all of a sudden they've got the capability to be able to completely um, avoid being hit by these things. So now all of a sudden they find themselves um, not vulnerable to the chronometric weapons. Now, this is, and this is actually the part that I'm trying to say is where it gets interesting. When they're attacked, and at the same time, the, there's this kind of mastership that's out there messing with time and everything. Um, it attempts to alter the timeline again, and apparently 98% um, ownership of the galaxy and everything is not sufficient. So it attempts to alter the timeline again. This time, the uh, the Voyager is actually impervious to the uh, to the alterations, and as a result, now all of a sudden, this warship that was in front of him is suddenly is suddenly a much much smaller vessel, and uh, it's basically doing the pew pew pew, you know, trying to hit it and everything, and uh, everybody sees the temporal change. So the temporal shielding not only has has caused the Voyager vessel to become immune to the chronometric weapons, but it's also made it immune to um, alterations, manipulations of the time stream itself. So they actually see the alterations in the time stream around them and everything. Well, this has them, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And, uh, you know, why I say it's interesting is I, I, I think that uh, this is an indication of, you know, um, what I've experienced. You know, I see alterations in, you know, what I consider the time stream, and uh, those alterations, I don't get a sense most people see. I, I suspect that most people don't see. Now, there's, in my opinion, the pivotal things, the important things and everything, are what's preserved in a society. You know, so we're at, to some degree, always at some form of war, for dominance of the primary timeline. And um, that war, you know, exists between cultures, it exists between countries, um, and it also, it, it exists um, outside of this world too, as well. <coughs> and uh, where it gets interesting for the Voyager crew is, prior to the development of this temporal, um, temporal shielding, everybody's, um, it's kind of funny because Kim and um, Lieutenant Kim and uh, Lieutenant Paris, um, 
or Lieutenant um, Torres, they end up trying to actually discuss uh, history, and they're going through historical things, and she absolutely positively insists that uh, um, to catch a thief that has uh, Cary Grant at least as documented in holographic um, records that I have here, um, are it was actually had um, who's the other guy? Um, oh, what's his name? Cary Grant and popular actors Cary Grant and so I think she's it's uh, she's insistent that it's Humphrey Bogart um, some other actor of the same same era and everything so she's absolutely insistent that she's actually watched this thing occur twice um, inside the she's actually watched this this to catch a thief twice in the holodeck and uh, she says no absolutely it's Humphrey Bogart and he's absolutely insistent that it's Cary Grant well I mean I've got a document as Cary Grant you know and I, if I actually picked up the movie I'd probably find that it was Cary Grant but here's the thing you know with a temporal um, alterations, the memories of each individual are, in a sense, going to be what I consider in a, in kind of a state of flux and everything, you know, because everybody's perceiving the historical events that actually led to them in their, in their place and everything is going to be, you know, different. Um, based on whatever past that they had and everything. And in some cases, very, very subtly different. So she actually concedes, you know, because he becomes insistent. No, it's Cary Grant. And she goes, no, you know. Um, it's kind of like Berenstein Bears. Some people remember it as Berenstein. Some people remember it as Berenstein. You know, me. Um, or Berenstein versus Berenstein. Now, me... It's just like Berenstein, you know. That's that's how it always was before. Sure, it may have changed, and and this is the whole, you know, what I consider the the collective sense and the collective formation of timelines, you know. So, in, in a general sense, because we're experiencing these temporal things all the time, she dismisses it as basically bad memory and everything. Well, we have, you know, words for that, terms for that, Alzheimer's and. You know, things that, uh, was it, Asperger's, not Asperger's, um, there's another one's Parkinson's. You know, all these things are more or less a medicine's inability to actually understand the temporal nature and the formation of memories in, in the individual's mind and the influence of the, of the individual's mind um, based on collective, uh, collective voting mechanics for historical records and everything for reality, particularly when reality goes through a temporal shift like this. So... In any case, um, what what they experience at that point is kind of interesting. As I'm watching this, I'm starting to realize it's just like everybody, you know. Um, it was it uh, Tom Paris? You know, he discusses this ancient battleship, you know, uh, that uh, that was named um, the Titanic, and the Titanic was something that uh, you know he modeled his stuff off off of. Well, I mean, Titanic, at least in my reality, you know, is a ship that sunk, and it's not a big, huge, still ship, or steamship, you know, as he asserted. Um, it's kind of like a, uh, I mean, it is, you know, definitely more of a steamship, but it's not the the ancient uh, armored one that uh, he was uh, referring to. There's another one that, uh, that he's referring to back in the 1880s that ended up having the same thing happen. Now, 
I'm not saying he's wrong. You know, and this is the interesting thing, because uh, Janeway, she ends up turning around saying, well, as I recall, you know, the Titanic sunk. You know, and it's just like, you know, I think it's a Potemkin or something like that. Potemkin. <coughs> no, maybe not. Yeah, Battleship Potemkin. Pre-Dreadnought Battleship built for... No, there's another... Uh, there's an English version of one. Old Ironsides. Yeah, that's... I think that's it. Old Ironsides. In any case, um... You know, this is the, the thing that I've realized is... You know, when... When... There's things that make us question our memories. Um, to some degree, I think... It's our responsibility to ourselves to remember things um, the way we experienced it as individuals. You know, so we're going to see the hiccups, the 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 burps. You know that society, you know that undergo the transformation of society itself and everything. And uh, to some degree, you know, what I'm most interested in myself is eventually getting to the point of you know touring the world a little bit more. Um, and also, you know, touring space, and in addition to that, touring alternate realities as well. Now, I've realized, I've come up with a plan, you know, for how to tour alternate realities, which is through the, uh, um, through holodeck type, te type technology, you know, through alternate reality type stuff and everything, leveraging, um, simulation and that kind of stuff. I've realized the fun in simulation and in, in actuality, going to places um, may not necessarily be in my best interest and in best interest of those that I'm actually going to visit. And that may do for the next 40 to 50 years and everything. I may change my mind after that. I don't know. You know, but I figure for a short-term thing and everything, you know, the technology to achieve, you know, the immersive uh, behavior and everything of entering a simulation and everything is kind of there. But uh, going back to this whole, you know, temporal shift and temporal variance and everything, um, I find it interesting that before, you know, um, then they undergo the transformation and uh, where the temporal shift, uh, temporal uh, protection from the shield and everything makes it so where they all still go through a form of temporal change. Now they just each have different histories. You know, so the, the external ship protected them immediately from the events that actually were occurring and everything. But, here's the thing. Each one has subtly different histories that actually led you know, to the, uh, to the events that actually happened, you know. And um, while they all experienced the same thing and everything, the historical accounts now all of a sudden has been shattered. You know, now all of a sudden they've got a completely different history than what they had before, from an each from an individual perspective. It's interesting. You know, it's like you know Janeway's Titanic. You know, she knows the Titanic. I, I, I suspect in much the same way I do. It's a passenger ship that ended up um, getting uh, capsized in a, right around World War Two. You know, he uh, Tom Paris knows it is, you know, that ship that uh, ended up. 
Uh, that was uh, Old Ironsides. Different name for that and everything. And the same thing holds true for Cary Grant versus Humphrey Bogart. Which one was in To Catch a Thief? One of my favorite movies, um, Last Action Hero, has... Uh, I love uh, everything Arnold Schwarzenegger, so I admit I love the dude. Um, got a man crush. But uh, in any case... Um, in that movie, um, the little boy ends up getting sucked into the movie th- movie picture, and uh, his favorite uh, favorite you know action hero, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's a uh, he plays this hard ass detective and everything that's uh, supposedly impervious and invulnerable to everything, and uh, as the little boy gets sucked into it, he they go through a like a blockbuster, and he sees Sylvester Stallone is on a Terminator movie poster. And he's like, wait a second. You know, he looks at it, and it's just like, you were in this one. And he goes, what do you mean? And he's just like, you were in this one. He goes, it's not not Sylvester Stallone. That was you. And uh, I, I think this is a funny thing. It's just like, this is this is kind of reality under the covers a little bit. You know, so it's kind of the fun of it. So, in any case, it's, uh, I think what's, I don't know, I'm going to keep keep on watching the show, but I just wanted to share that, uh, that little observation about, uh, the temporal shifts. Okay, something else I want to get into is, uh, paranoid computers. Um, lately I've had, uh, some really odd problems with supposed, um, violations or hacking of my account and everything. Now, for the most part, I used to react, um, pretty quickly to these messages and everything, whenever something was received. And, um, I mean, so, you know, you, you know what they are. You, you're, you've got an email account and all of a sudden, boom, you get, uh, this message about, uh, some account that you have on some website's been, um, been violated, and so you go through, you change the password, and all of a sudden, um, now it's hunky-dory, or you go to a website, and, uh, they claim that they're, uh, beefing up security and everything, and at this point, you're, you know, you, uh, insert a, you, uh, stick to the security that they ask for, and then, um, all of a sudden, you know, you come back a couple weeks later and everything, trying to insert the same password, and, uh, you're left scratching your head a little bit, because the, the passwords are sitting there saying, oh, it's an incorrect password. Now, maybe you haven't, maybe you're like me, and you haven't written down your passwords or anything like that, and, uh, and as you're sitting there going, fuck, you know, I could have sworn this was the password and everything, ultimately, you end up going through and changing it, and then, strangely enough, the same thing happens a couple weeks later, and, uh, a couple months later and everything. Now, you know, if it um, wasn't so darn, uh, it, it happens in between websites too. You know, so you can actually be on one website and then all of a sudden another website will say the same thing. So if you're anything like I am, uh, you might be scratching your head and actually questioning your own memory. It's like, fuck, I, I could have sworn this was the same password for this website and everything. You know, so, and at this point you're, you're caught in this little loop, this little game that basically has you believing questioning your own memory, you know, so, I mean, and this is exactly what I was going through, too, it's just like, well, what the fuck, you know, I mean, I could have sworn this was my own password and everything, so, in any case, what I ended up doing to to rectify this problem was uh, I ended up going through and using the same password for every different website. Now, 
at this point, you know, once I started doing this and everything, I just thought, okay, you know, this makes things a lot easier for me, you know, just just because when I know, when I know factually, and, and I saw evidence of this too, you know, when I know that uh, I have I have used the same password on all these different websites and everything, and uh, and I'm using the same one, you know, I made it a fact to use the same the same exact password on every website that I was using and everything. Um, I mean, I really wasn't concerned about security. It's just when it comes down to it, I mean, I fucking lost everything as it is. I've had everything stolen from me. You know, so in the end, it's just like, if you're going to steal my accounts, I'll just fucking open up a new one. So fuck y'all. That's the way I look at it. So in any case, um, I ended up trying to challenge this problem, you know, of, you know, questioning my own memory and everything by basically using the same password. And then I would get the same shit that would happen. You know, your, you know, your password has been, you know, broken or something like that, you know, or, you know, you're, you've entered the wrong password. I'm just like, bullshit. I'm calling bullshit on this one, you know. So ultimately, I just started getting to the point that I started realizing it's just like, this is really interesting, you know, where something's going on. On, you know, and uh, you know, and for me, it's just like, you know, the there's there's two initial um, thoughts, uh, chains of thought that actually go there, um, potentially even three, you know, explanations. Now, now, mind you, I am absolutely certain, you know, that my password is the same on every website, you know, that I've I've been using and everything. So, you know, I've got four or five different primary websites. I'd opened up maybe 15 at this point, you know, and I am absolutely certain I use the same password. It's just, it, it was my experiment, you know, to get by with one, remembering one single password for every everything that I was actually going through. And I was finding that uh, this was happening time and again. Well, one of the things that I actually started noticing at this point when I'm using the same password is, you know, um, when I started getting the boot back and everything, they'd start asking for questions, the, you know, the whole validation questions and everything. And, uh, you know, it's just like, what's your mother's maiden name? Um, where, where were you born? You know, yada, yada, yada. So these questions are, are there to, um, you know, to figure out or to help you regain or recover your account and everything. And I'm sitting there going, okay. You know, so as I'm going through this, at first I think it's really innocuous. And then all of a sudden I start realizing, wait a second. Every website that I'm going to is asking different, you know, they're doing the same kind of validation questions, but for some reason, they're doing different validation questions. You know, now, you would think that if they're implementing this from some kind of standardized, you know, basis or something like that, that they're actually going to come up with a list of standard questions and everything. So, you know, to actually deviate from that standard and everything, okay, that's possible, given that maybe there's humans behind this or actually creating new questions and everything. But here's here's where I started actually, you know, looking into and, and really asking the question, you know, what's going on here? When I started noticing that no two questions overlapped, there was no qu two questions that were the same when they started asking questions. None. You know, it was it's like, uh, what's your mother's maiden name, or what uh, what's the street that you were on when you were uh, when you were young? Um, you know, what uh, what's your father's uh, pet's name? You know, and it would ask questions, just really bizarre questions like this. And I started really saying, okay. You know, um, I'm not losing my passwords. You know, I know this for a fact and everything. And not only that, but 
I'm I'm actually finding it so where uh, that they're asking questions you know and these questions are you know if you actually take the sum total of all the different questions that are that are being asked it, it paints a pretty an interesting picture about my own personal history you know and um, and it one could potentially leverage this information all sum total to build a pretty interesting profile of who I am and I started realizing wait a second let's start doing things a little bit differently here so what I ended up doing starting to do about a month ago was I ended up basically uh, going through and uh, creating a new password for every single account that I used and uh, what I would do is I would actually look at uh, the number of maximum characters that I could potentially use for it uh, in some cases it's 12 and some, in other cases it's 16 and uh, I'd also look at the different character variations and everything too um, now I could certainly take this a step further and make it completely random but what I ended up doing was just basically saying okay I'm gonna put in a few numbers and letters I'm going to roll the dice and uh, come up with a few numbers and letters and do this and repeat this process and everything with any number of random um, you know, numbers um, interjected with letters and at that point end up uh, coming up with my password by, you know, by, by doing this method. Now, for me, um, I started realizing it's just like, okay, this is, you know, I, I went through every single account that I had, particularly the primary ones that I use, you know, Facebook, um, uh, what was it? Uh, some of the gaming sites and everything. And I started using this new password that I actually wrote physically down. First time I've written down a password in ages and everything. And right now I have a list about a page long of various passwords and everything. And um, I ended up going through and I'm just like going, okay, I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to single out the accounts that uh, that actually appear, you know, to to be um, supposedly violated and everything. And, uh, you know, at this point, I've come up with a completely random password. And the first logic is that my computer's hacked, but I know it's not, you know, just because I myself have actually got full control of the system, you know, and uh, as a hacker, you know, I can assure you that my machine isn't hacked and everything. So, you know, eliminating that as the possibility and everything, um, I ended up going through and starting to systematically change all the passwords and everything. And, and lo and behold, I had one single account. Um, that has repetitively claimed that I have actually had the account hacked. Now, interestingly enough, um, I'll, I'll actually go and I'll, I'll log on to that account with a separate machine and everything, and I'll come back to this machine, and, and both of them, it appears fine. But if I follow that link in the email and everything, at that point, it appears like it's invalid. So, you know, the number one lesson to this is, you know, don't listen to the emails and everything um, that you get that claim that you've actually been hacked. Doesn't matter whether or not you're coming from Bank of America or Wells Fargo or any of these you know the, the simple fact of the matter is if you're getting emails from any different uh, vendor or something like that that claims that you've been hacked or, or something like that or or that your password has been violated you know my first suggestion is just to uh, basically randomize it you know take it offline and uh, the biggest thing is, you know, like what I do is I roll the, roll the dice. Um, another way to do it is, uh, you know, pull out a, a deck of cards and everything and um, just number them. You know, ace is one, you know, go through two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, 
and uh, you know generate a password like that. So you know for every every time that uh, you're asked for a new password and everything, create a, a pen and paper or a piece of uh, a pencil and paper list, you know, and uh, maintain those passwords and everything separately. And um, you know basically write down the name. And here's the thing, you know, just to actually make, keep your conscience clear and everything, do it out of view of your computer's camera. Just in case, for some reason, you've actually got somebody peering in through your camera that actually looks at that and everything, you know, just basically go through and just make it so it's, you know, clear view of your camera. Now, my, I personally have done this for every account that I have, um, with the exception of two in particular. And uh, for me, it's just like I like the, the original password that I had and everything. You know, and, and it's also one of those things that um, I don't like being paranoid. And as a result, anybody that tries to tell me you need to be paranoid, particularly a company like Yahoo, Yahoo, in this case, uh, in my opinion, they're run by a bunch of fucking yahoos. You know, um, it's been appropriated by China, and uh, the way I look at it is, you know, China's done some marvelous things, but when it comes down to it, when it comes down to security and technology and that kind of stuff, um, in my opinion, they've got a long ways to go to understand uh, understand the modern world. And, um, and this is definitely, without hesitation, one of those areas. You know, um, security itself, you know, is something that's intrinsic within the person's, uh, you know, person's computer and everything. And that security is pretty damn secure, you know, right now, the way things are. So two companies that I end up getting this regularly from, and both of them have pretty strong presences in China. Apple is one that I get one on a daily fucking basis. And it comes from various different locations and everything. And I'm just like, ah, oh, this is kind of bizarre. You know, it's <laughs> it's to the point of where, you know, I mean, I'll receive a different message. And the Apple one's in broken English. It's not even good English. It's in broken English. And uh, it's just like, okay, you know, this one's clearly not something. And the Yahoo one, it's just one of those ones that just, you know, it's a polite message and tries to tell me that my account's been hacked and I go and I validate it on, on both machines and everything without clicking on any links in the email and boom, the thing's perfectly fine and doesn't report that there's any problems with it, you know? So, in it, uh, here's actually one of the things I'm going to say. My belief is that the internet in itself is undergoing a form of mitosis. And if you're not familiar with mitosis, it's a cellular split. And, uh, and to some degree, this is actually what's partially um, because of uh, something called the mirror universe. Now, the mirror universe is depicted in Star Trek and everything. Um, you know, I think is, is in part a... Um, it, it's exemplified, you know, through what's going on with uh, some of the stuff with computers. We'll put it this way. There's so much information out there. Um, when it comes down to the way that the internet functions, and particularly domain name servers and that kind of stuff, it is relatively easy to hijack a domain name server name and appropriate it for yourself. And this has been something that's uh, gone on time and time again over a long period of time and everything. And um, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, is the owner of the uh, of the website that you're going to um, one and the same as a company that you're actually dealing with in, in real life? And a lot of cases, it's actually not you know um, now they you know the, and this is part of the problem with an international globally based internet you know there's a lot of countries that uh, don't necessarily have our best interests but there's also a lot of countries out there and and individuals that would um, actually go through the process of appropriating what's considered to be an intellectual property the, the property of of companies companies themselves by basically taking ownership of the internet presence and at that point um, 
slowly but surely shifting it over through an indoctrinated process of basically leading people to believe that that company was always actually owned and operated you know by uh, by foreign foreign companies and everything and two key key prime examples of this that uh, I certainly de definitely question are Yahoo and Apple you know has Apple always you know um, always manufactured goods over in China and everything the vast majority of the goods over there you know has um, has Yahoo um, really been sold to the Chinese and everything when the Chinese themselves don't value and look at and regard currency the same way that the United States does? I truly highly doubt it is as straightforward as that. And uh, But when it comes down to it, it's a story that I accept just because, you know, when it comes down to it, it's also taught me a lesson in security and when it comes to, and, uh, and not being paranoid of the information and messages that I receive. And, and accordingly, what I do is I actually look at the Internet and I regard the Internet uh, now as a uh, as a source of information now when that source seems to be conspiratorial um, particularly about asking me questions about my origin that kind of stuff and everything you know um, the questions regarding you know where I was where I was born all that kind of stuff and everything um, it's it's like um, I'm actually looking at a, an image, a window into the holographic universe, and the holographic universe is basically asking me questions back, like who the fuck are you? You know, that's the way I look at it. Now I don't look at it as some big grand huge conspiracy by perpetrated by any company, country, or um, maybe off planet type individual or an entity or anything like that. Um, it, it's a little bit of everything and more. You know, so um, I choose to actually say, you know, no, this is just a function of information. Once information reaches a point, you know, where there's so much information, um, it it has a tendency to um, find itself hard to actually be lumped into concise categories. And those concise categories, you know, such as, um, you know, uh, we'll put it this way, look at media. You know, you've got comedies, you've got dramas, you've got action movies, you've got science fiction, you've got fantasy and everything. You know, um, most things typically fit into those six kind of categories and everything, but you've got other various categories out there as well, and, and you got things that don't fall firmly into one category and everything, and falls firmly into all the categories, and you can actually start labeling it with other labels. And other labels are going to be equally appropriate as well, too. You know, so when it comes down to it, the the idea of the segmentation by labels and everything starts falling apart when you get too much information. And you could look at machine learning as a key example of this. You know, if you're trying to evaluate from op optical character recognition, you know, um, the letters A through Z, um, handwritten letters A through Z, uh, across the country and everything, you're going to find a lot of different variances in it and everything. And you're also going to find that... Um, that one little bridge that uh, an A starts looking like a B, you know, um, or maybe even a Q, uh, more appropriately a Q. And uh, an A could look like an E, you know, depending on how you write it, and L could look like an I. And uh, you can actually get your buckets, uh, your buckets skewed a little bit by invalid information. You know, maybe it wasn't intended to be an L, or maybe it wasn't intended to be an O, maybe it was intended to be a zero. And uh, once this starts happening, at this point, this causes the buckets of information, the ordering that's actually created in everything to, in a literal sense, split through a form of mitosis. And, 
and uh, that actually grows and grows and grows, and that's actually part of what's responsible for, you know, for creating um, groups, for creating segments, for creating, um, hell, societies and cultures and and um, countries and 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 even worlds, you know. So those categories start growing, you know, to the point that uh, and the distinction between them starts growing to such a degree through tiny. Oh, my dog, uh, it's noise yelling behind there. She's missing company. <laughs> but um, it, it starts, it starts with a tiny little deviance, a, a tiny little deviation. But uh, that deviation grows until you've quite literally got a completely different segmentation of everything. In some cases, different races and different species. And like I said, different planets. So... In any case, um, going back to the whole, you know, premise of what I was talking about before, um, don't be alarmed if you get uh, if you get emails that say that uh, your account has, you know, been broken or something like that. You know, um, I I personally um, got the idea about uh, keeping things written down um, from a friend, Jeff Kleinman, years ago. Uh, he had his entire password sheet contained on a uh, computer-printed uh, password sheet and everything. And the only flaw that I saw in this is the fact that it had actually been generated from a computer. And um, it's my belief that uh, you, need to, um, you need to isolate the password list away from the computer in order to basically keep, make sure that you've actually got a firm grasp of it and, uh, and that you yourself are the only thing interacting with that and it's not actually computer interacted with. You know, so, and the reason I'm saying this is, let's say, for instance, that your computer actually has been compromised and everything. Um, well, once you print it out and everything, well, somebody, boom, now they have a, a complete list of all your passwords contained in one spot, right? Now, so here's what you do. You take a separate piece of paper, you write down the name of the company or, or, or business that you're actually, um, that you've got a password for, and then at that point you, you know, here's what I do. Listen. Or, hold on, here's better. Boom. I roll the dice, and at that point I come up with zeros and, you know, zero through nine um, different values and everything. And uh, I can certainly be more complex than this, and if I come across problems with this, and yeah, I might, I might actually take that route of being a little bit more complex than that. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, it's just like this is how something called a GUID is created. I don't know if you're familiar with the GUID, but a GUID is a, uh, a unique identifier for most programs that actually run on a machine. Well, it's no reason why you, you as a human can't do the same thing, you know, with the passwords for with your, you know, very few accounts that you're actually going to have. I mean, if you're anything like me, at most you might have 20 to 25 different accounts that you're actually using online and everything. Um, and with that, it's just like it's not that hard to keep a handwritten password list, you know, and uh, if you have to go through and change it, leave room to be able to cross it out and put something new in it and everything. And uh, my advice is use up all the characters that you possibly can. You know, so if it's if it's got eight characters, it's actually asking for. You know, and uh, the best way to find this out is type in 40 characters for your password. It's going to reject it right away. You know, but but it'll actually tell you what the limitation of the password is. And uh, from there, just go through there and at that point uh, just insert number of characters and uh, you know just. 
basically roll the dice, pull a card. Um, there's any number of different methods, you know, at least I have available to me. You know, cards and dice are probably two of the easiest and most accessible ways to be able to uh, create a password that's uh, that's not going to be um, generated leveraging a computer, and uh, it's going to be random, you know, and uh, quasi-random. I mean, I'm still going to be inserting characters, you know, that uh, I can think of as I'm thinking them and everything, but, you know, the way I look at it is just like, uh, I'm just interested in, in basically mitigating the, the supposed risk that uh, is being told to me. You know, by these uh, various different different accounts and everything, and uh, am also interested in singling out the uh, the ones that appear to be um, have have problems on their end. You know, about uh, password and password retention and that kind of stuff. And and Yahoo was one of the first ones that fucking came up. One of the first ones. You know, literally two days after I ended up making changes to the password and everything, boom, they come back and uh, all of a sudden I get this uh, this email. And the email's legitimate. It's basically uh, indicating that uh, you know it's all the links and everything are legitimate. I took a look at the uh, the mappy headers and everything, and it indicates that uh, that it's valid and everything. So Yahoo, I love you, but man, you've got to fix your shit. You know, um, I, this is a problem you got to fix, not not uh, not the user. So quit pointing the finger at the user and start start working with yourself to come up with a problem, you know, a way to fix it and resolve these problems. Now, to be honest, if I can actually um, look to you, you know, for uncensored information and everything, you know, from a search perspective and everything, where Google and uh, and Microsoft clearly do, you know, they they censor their information and everything. If you could provide me more valuable search stuff and also fix up your security stuff. And everything um, and you let me know in a way that uh, wasn't obvious but made it clear that I had actually gotten my request and everything I, I can guarantee you I'll go I'll go fucking back and uh, I'll start leveraging you as a service I mean I love your name it's goofy it's fun it's it's just it's me you know but here's the thing I don't want you to be paranoid you know, so, and I know I'm anthropomorphizing, you know, you as a service and everything. The way I look at it is, that's what we got to do. You know, we, in my opinion, life is, is infinite in possibility. And you, you are, in my opinion, capable of becoming a little bit more conscious and a little bit more aware. And with that, I hope you can overcome some of the, your, uh, some of your paranoia and everything. And maybe provide a service that, that isn't provided, you know, by, um, by Microsoft or uh, you know Microsoft Bing and uh, and Google, you know it's my hope that um, you understand where you're at, why you're at where you're at, why you're seeing the results that you're seeing, and instead come up with better um, better services as a result of what you're seeing. So. Um, look into the multiverse, you know, to understand what it is I'm, I'm referring to, and also something called um, analog uh, analog uh, versus digital information. So, anyways, um, I'm gonna get back to uh, Star Trek. Um, got some a lot of quests to do. I just uh, mowed the fucking lawn today. I hate mowing the fucking lawn, but uh, it was definitely growing like mad and everything. And my dad was out there watching the whole time, so I'm just kind of cracking up and everything. And uh, I don't know. Um, I'm really, really, really looking forward to the Avengers. Um, I've really made it a fact to not watch any... Uh, I know I told you I was just going to leave and everything. I made it a fact to not watch any previews and everything for the Avengers. And I'm really hoping that the mass collective reality sees something different than I do with this movie and everything. Um, and I... 
you know, I'll talk about it through this podcast and everything, what I see, what I experience and everything. You know, that's kind of the goal. Is I, I like the idea of being a little bit more vocal, a little bit more, um, I don't know, explanative, you know, and, and if anything, you know, looking at uh, somebody like Q and also Dr. Who and just basically saying, look, you know, I lead a funky life and I'm kind of cool with that and everything and I'm, I'm kind of cool with the perspectives that I've I've actually been introduced to and everything and I, I don't like the idea of seeing, you know, some weird shit and I also like the idea of also getting a little bit more control of my life and that way I can actually have some of those f- indulgent fantasies, you know, that, uh, that are going to come about as a result of it. Yeah, I understand some shit's going to be weird as a result of it and that's okay too, you know, but what, what's really okay is is, is that I'm going to, you know, keep on increasingly more and more potentially seeing deviances in digital realities or in so-called digital realities because I'm going to be peering through to the analog and uh, also look, uh, looking more specifically at my analog. So to somebody else, it may be a digital reality. You know, that's what it comes down to. But here's what I'm hoping for Avengers and also for the uh, upcoming X-Men Phoenix. Um, Dark Phoenix, hands-on, is one of my favorite characters of all time for the X-Men and Marvel Universe, and here's why. The potential. Um, The Jean Grey um, and her psychic capabilities and everything um, are unparalleled. Um, there's there's literally nobody throughout um, any known universes and everything that have the capacity and capability innately to be able to uh, um, to do what Jean Grey can. Now here's the thing about Jean Grey. Jean Grey um, has a hard time. Um, fighting off her urges. Now, and I think that's the whole thing that I've come to start realizing, you know, with uh, with a mind that can do anything, um, choosing not to do anything, uh, not to do everything. You know, that's, that's one of the biggest difficulties I've realized, you know, with, uh, as I'm, you know, slowly but surely becoming, you know, what it is I had once uh, believed was impossible. Um, the the whole idea and concept that uh, that you know with ultimate power you know ultimate power corrupts well that's a saying that's that's um, said by weak-minded people you know um, it it corrupts because that's how you envision it for yourself now this isn't true for others and if it was true for others we simply wouldn't be here you know so when it comes down to it you know you're holding up a mirror to yourself when you actually believe that ultimate uh, ultimate power corrupts but anyways um both those movies avengers and um and gene gray um uh, and dark phoenix i'm really do i really do hope they uh do something spectacular with them hello me again one of the um one of the weird things that i saw when i was experiencing oh there's got to be a better word than a hallucination with it when I was experiencing the collapse I guess you can say of reality that's probably the best way to sum it up when I was experiencing that uh, one of the things I ended up um there was quite a few little things that I ended up experiencing. Like, for instance, when I was going through uh, Phoenix, I ended up um, seeing a, a jet, a 737, um, in midair. If you've ever been to Fiesta Mall, there's a uh, mall that's uh, right down the flight path of uh, Sky Harbor Airport. And uh, I saw this jet that had um, literally halted there. 
uh, it was just basically it was over the um, what was it the whole I think it was try to think of that it's not it's baseline is one of the major roads almost school so it was, it was literally hovering over over almost school but it was like it was in for going in for its final approach and uh, it was just literally halted there and it seemed like a part of its back end was chiseled away um, as if it was glitching so as I'm watching this you know I'm seeing this I'm driving down the freeway when I'm seeing this going down the 60 and I look to my left and I see this thing that's halted there and I'm just like what the fuck is that you know I mean I could tell it's a plane and it's got part of its tail missing and it's it's just flying straight you know it's just going straight there's it's not acting like it's got any problem it's just glitching and I'm just like oh this is really fucking weird so I ended up making a left turn it's still halted there it's and I actually ended up driving underneath the damn thing um, over on almost school and uh, all the way up to southern and the thing stationary it's in the same position now I'm sitting there looking at this thing and it doesn't seem like anybody else around me sees the damn thing it's only me and uh, I'm just like going, okay, you know. Um, now it comes down to, this was a, one of the chief things that I started thinking, started asking a question, you know, what, what is, you know, a hallucination? And um, not only that, but uh, if let's let's not dismiss it as a hallucination. Instead, just basically start saying, you know, wait a second. Let's leverage the scientific method here, and um, let's instead start analyzing this from a scientific perspective and everything. And uh, you know, and, and for me, you know, this slippery slope of possibilities and everything. You know, I, the, one of the critical parts of doing this, and part of the reason for doing this, is just basically saying, okay, you know, um, quit putting roadblocks up, you know, for answering questions. Quit quit acting like, um, quit dismissing things. Quit basically saying that uh, something is this and don't ask any more questions here. And that's, that's what calling something hallucination is. That's what calling something fiction is. You know, there's, there's other answers that exist, you know, for this. And uh, when I ended up seeing this, it's just like, okay, you know, I had seen similar evidence of something else in the past, and that was basically the drop of Building 11. <laughs> No, Building 7 uh, during the World Trade Center. Um, buildings uh, 1 and 2, they ended up falling, you know, pretty sturdily and everything. You know, but Building 7 was kind of odd. You know, um, it's one of those buildings that uh, nobody's, nobody I know had ever been reported as actually having worked there. Um, in addition to that, uh, there was... Um, there, it was one of the ones that had a fraction of the material that was expected, you know, for a building of its size. So this, you know, leads to the question, you know, what is going on here? You know, why is it I would actually see um, just a plane glitching, but nothing else? Why is it that a building would end up having, having you know, something like this going on, you know, um, where it has a fraction of the material and, you know, purportedly that uh, there's nobody working there and everything. And, you know, once I started really embarking down this thinking process, one of the things I started realizing was there's two different facets of um, the universe. There's one, which is the analog. You know, the, uh, the analog is the one that I go out and I actually 
um, can touch and feel and do all these other things with. Um, digital's still there, don't get me wrong. You know, but there's evidence of digital. Um, not just appearing on screens and isolated forms and everything, but also appearing in reality itself all the time, if you actually look at it. Um, polygon, you know, a polygon such as the Bermuda Triangle. Why is it something like that would actually have, you know, ships and planes and all this other stuff disappearing throughout it? And uh, why is it my grandfather, you know, ended up... Uh, he ended up telling me when he ended up, um, when I took him up for up flying, um, he was stationed out in uh, World War II, he was stationed out in the, in the Caribbean, and my dad recalls being stationed out there, and, you know, my dad never had a conversation with him about what exactly he did out there, and he ended up uh, confiding in me while, while I ended up taking up him up. He was my first first passenger that I ever took up and everything in, a, uh, in the Cessna. And uh, he ended up telling me he flew out the uh, the back end of a of a, one of the bombers. They ended up clearing out the um, the turret section, and he was a spotter for the Navy. And he just ended up doing reconnaissance and everything as they flew over. And they ended up find, finding Miller Hertz aircraft out there in the uh, in the in the Bermuda Triangle. That's what was one of their zones they ended up having to go through. Now this kind of stuff has has happened, you know, throughout. Um, history and everything. The mystery spot in California. It's a, it's a localized anomaly, you know, of gravity that actually occurs. That uh, that more or less it's, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's just a certain spot that actually has problems, or you know, it's just it's a spot where gravity doesn't doesn't act and react in a consistent nature and fashion. Everything with the rest of the analog world around it. And uh, it just comes down to, you know, this world, you know, is in fact, a little bit stranger underneath the covers than what it comes down to. Now, it goes to great lengths to basically lead you, um, lead us um, as individuals, not to ask questions about what goes on behind the covers and everything. You know, what goes on behind the scenes. You know, it's like the, the man, the Wizard of Oz and everything. Does the wizard... The wizard wants you to see the Golden Brick Road. He wants you to see... You know, the, the little, you know, mechanisms and everything that actually make it appear to work and everything. But in the end, there's a little bit more going on than just that. You know, and that was the problem. You know, I ended up discovering, you know, that try as fucking hard as I might, you know, following this golden brick road of, of working my ass off and everything and, and paying my taxes and doing the good thing and everything, I was starting to realize that this, it's a, it's a treadmill, it's, it's not getting me anywhere, and I have to, I, it, I'm absolutely obligated to myself to start looking elsewhere for answers and everything, and and to stop um, listening to the answers that are provided through collective mechanisms that are actually feeding me this, this more or less line of bullshit, you know, so, and that's, you know, I'm not saying this in a bad way. The system that was in place worked for me. It helped build my world. It helped give me my world view. Um, it gives me dogs. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're fucking adorable. Um, it gives me, it gives me a lot. You know, but there's some things that it's fundamentally missing. 
simple companionship, which it tried to give me, but it couldn't because it just it was too cookie cutter. It it didn't satisfy my needs specifically. You know, and that was the thing. You know, when it comes down to companionship and everything, I don't need just one cookie cutter type person or everything. You know, I need somebody that's a good all around, you know, kind of like it goes a little bit further than that. <laughs> but really that uh a lot of this actually was going on and started, you know, when I was actually going through and pursuing my MBA. But more than that, it was also through a little bit of self-exploration and stopping accepting the answers, you know, that were provided to me, you know, and uh, particularly in an indoctrinated way, and instead start analyzing things for myself, instead start providing my own answers, you know, instead stop stop focusing on the popularity contest and instead just understand popularity is just one mechanism you know of voting and that 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 popularity doesn't work for me all the time so it was about this time I end, you know shortly after I ended up discovering you know rotten I mean I I'd, I'd already been paying attention to rotten tomatoes but by then I I also started doing a reverse filter and uh intentionally choosing the things that uh, that were least liked you know um from a collective perspective and everything um you know, I started learning that, uh, you know, when I ended up seeing some of these things, it's just like, you know, I, I didn't have an answer for it at first. You know, I didn't understand that uh, the universe is in itself is in part digital, and uh, a part of that di digital, you know, is is actually all around me. You know, um, Kenna used to tell me all the time, you know, you make me beautiful. Could not for the life of me fucking understand why she ended up saying this comment all the time to me. And then all of a sudden it started dawning on me. Wait a second. It's quite possible that my mind actually created the image for her. You know, and uh, produced, um, you know, literally, in a literal sense, produced the, what she looks like. To me, I thought the girl was beautiful. I thought the way that she thought was was beautiful. It was different. It was, you know, she introduced some concepts and ideas to me, and to some degree, I may have actually, you know, in hindsight, realized, you know, that uh, if those people couldn't see that plane, and if I actually said something to somebody, you know, about it, you know, there's a one in two chance that, uh, I mean, I didn't say anything to, to anybody about it. I just ended up driving around. But, um, what I'm st what I started realizing as as far as a pattern was concerning after this was in a lot of cases a lot of people act like they know what I'm talking about when I know when the, I present something new to them or something like that and um, this this act actually ended up uh, you know happening a lot and uh, with in particular um, I ended up uh, doing an analysis of uh, the MOQ framework as something I referred to before and also my brother he ended up asking me how how do you hack you know, and I'm just like, well, I, you know, sat down and started explaining things to him and everything, and I wasn't able to give, give even a remotely um, partial explanation, you know, before he's just acting like he knows everything about it, you know, and, and that act is just like, okay, you know, it's almost like he's trying to portray himself as having received all the information possible for it. You know, but what I had noticed was, in particular, a lot of people have this, um, uh, 
this knack for basically saying, um, you know, yes, I get it, or yes, I understand and everything, when they don't. They just simply go along. Now, me, um, one thing I've, I've made it a fact to do is to ask questions. You know, um, I try to understand things. You know, and when I don't understand things, you know, I have, I've been unafraid about appearing dumb in front of people. You know, I don't care. You know, of course I care what you, what you think about me, but really when it comes down to it, you know, ever since I was in kindergarten, you know, in first grade, and, you know, asking questions and everything, you know, that's part of the reason I was picked on. You know, it was just like I would regularly ask questions and everything that apparently I should have known, but I didn't. You know, and as a result, I ended up getting lambasted for this all the time and picked on and followed by bullies and all this other stuff and everything. You know, so for me, over the years, that I've, I've realized that, you know, the explanations, you know, a, a lot of times I actually ended up accepting um, collective, collectively based explanations and stories and everything for things um, without actually coming to the, uh, the opinion for myself and everything. And... Um, in a lot of cases, sure, you know, I'm leveraging Star Trek as one of my big, huge material fodders, you know, for um, motivating this information. But being honest, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of twists that, are, that go into this as well. You know, yes, I'm, I'm absolutely using it, um, you can call it as a collective source and everything. But, you know, I don't like the, uh, the whole idea of, uh, of warfare being ripe and everything. You know, throughout the uh, throughout the thing, so I'm picking and choosing. You know, certain things that I actually want, and basically saying there's certain things that I don't want as well. So when I see something like that um, that plane hovering over over you know over the the ground and everything, it was actually that evening that I I saw some of the funkiest shit that I ever saw in my life and everything. I had intentionally. Um, it's almost like I was getting things pushing me around, basically telling me to go here, check this out, go here, check this out. And this was going on for about two weeks' time and everything. And I was watching Fringe at the same time. It's like my mind and my body were in some kind of union, you know, where it's just basically saying, okay, you know, go check this out. And I was curious enough that I ended up going to check it out. So I went to. Um, uh, one time it was basically Sky Harbor and McDowell Mountain. I was overlooking Sky Harbor Airport. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, the planes and everything. And seeing that 737, I was definitely curious why it's having me go out there. And then all of a sudden I see these uh, these drones, um, all of them, fly up. And uh, they surround the Sky Harbor Airport. They're black. Um, they're, I, it's really hard to actually see them. You know, but uh, I see them, you know, we, it just comes down to I'm looking out for them and everything, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? You know, so there's all these, <laughs> I'd say probably about 16 in total, drones that surround, um, you know, surround Sky Harbor Airport, and I'm just like, well, this is really fucking bizarre. You know, I'm watching this and everything, and, uh, and a couple of them have uh, the little blinking lights on it and everything. And uh, I'm just like, I'm thinking, you know, this is really weird. And um, as I'm watching events like this unfold, you know, uh, repeatedly, you know, throughout this period of time and everything, and um, it's just weird things, everything from a digital plane to, uh, or a partially digital plane that's halted in midair and everything, um, I ended up finally driving away from the thing to um, driving down the freeway at 115 miles an hour, and uh, all of a sudden everybody starts following me, going the same pace and everything. 
I started questioning the interlinking of minds and, you know, the collective behavior mechanisms and that kind of stuff. I had something similar happen that uh, when I was uh, tripping up here at, uh, on basalts and everything, um, I had literally just taken, you know, a hit and everything. All of a sudden, boom, my mom and my brother come flying in, or my brother come flying to the house. Brian, there's a whole bunch of bees out here, you know, and they're just, they said it came out from, you know, from somewhere. And I'm just like, okay, that's really bizarre. You know, it was literally right as I just did a hit and everything. And all of a sudden, I walk outside, you know, I'm just like, What's going on, dude? And he's, Jason's acting like absolutely nothing's going on. And I was like, you just came inside. He goes, oh, it was nothing. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is really weird. You know, so, really, there's one other thing that I end up, uh, I keep having as a recurrent um, idea, concept, and everything. And that's the whole look for Bin Laden. Now, I had never never understood that my perspective on reality is one thing, and, and there are alternative perspectives on reality which may not even closely resemble my own, and even more so, um, how I see myself um, may not be how others see me. So the whole thing against Bin Laden, um, they supposedly found the man uh, over there. now. Part of the story that I've been told, and I don't know whether to accept this or not, was um, to many, from an alternative perspective, I am, I am one and the same person labeled as Bin Laden from a mind perspective. In other words, I was rebelling, and I didn't know it, against collective uh, domination um, of my will. And uh, to some degree, the collective was at war with me. And, um, among the reasons that, uh, uh, you know, the whole war was going on was because I was rebelling against, you know, um, a, a domination. And taking it even more so, um, a domination of not just my free will, but also my timeline. There was an attempt, many attempts, I, I suspect, to alter my timeline, um, to get me to coincide with what's deemed a collective, collectively based um, timeline and everything. And ultimately, because I refused, um, and repeatedly refused, and actually had a couple key events, you know, that I refused to forget about and everything, um, you know, which is a part of collective time manipulation and everything, um, the expectation is that, uh, that you, you know, give up your past and everything to become, you know, somebody that is in your future and everything. And for me, I wasn't interested in that. I like my memories. You know, I like knowing what I went through and not only that, but what I went through has served as a fundamental basis and motivation for me to be able to achieve the level of technology in order to, or mental capabilities, in order to be able to, or both, um, to be able to achieve you know, travel, time travel in a literal sense, to be able to go back in time, you know, to certain pivotal events and everything, to be able to play with time, you know, to be able to build a company, you know, that, uh, that I'm currently in the process of building through leveraging Star Trek Online, um, to be able to do things. And, uh, but from an external perspective, I myself, as I knew myself, Brian, had been eradicated prior to then from the timeline. Um, you know, collective will had actually shoved me 
outside and I didn't know it. I was still living in my you know, own world, you know, from my own perspective and everything. Um, but this intensified and everything as I kept rebelling against a collective timeline domination in my own timeline. You know, so for instance, 9-11 and everything. It's my belief that the collective timeline actually tried editing this, this event out, and I'm one of the, one of the many people that have decided not to actually agree with the editing of that out. To me, it's, it's not that I like what happened, but what happened um, has actually demonstrated the, the capabilities for technology and the potential different answers, you know, for technology and everything. So in any case, um, the whole idea and concept of bin Laden um, being me, you know, there was one last, uh, uh, you'd call it in my mind's eye travel or whatever, um, where I saw a sequence of events where I was one and the same as him, and I was placed into a holographic, um, more or less, uh, motorhome, <laughs> and, uh, because for some reason I couldn't be killed, um, they had decided to forever entomb me inside of a holographic, uh, holographic vessel, holographic, uh, motorhome at the bottom of the ocean. And what's at the bottom of the ocean is me. You know, in a literal sense, the, the dude I know, the man that, uh, that, you know, others had deemed had been Bin Laden is and actually has been me the entire time. You know, so, and this is just the weird war, you know, that goes on with reality from a perspective-based thing. So, in any case, I don't know if that's true, and same thing for the X-37. You know, I remember um, when I was uh, tripping balls going through the desert of, uh, you know, California, Arizona, and, uh, um, oh, what was it, um... Nevada, I remember feeling like everywhere I was going for the hotels, um, ultimately somebody would actually pull in, you know, in the hotel room, one of the hotel rooms next to me, and I, it started feeling like something was trying to dislodge my mind from my body. Now, this had started back over North Carolina um, about nine months before, but it, it persisted and intensified throughout the course of this little uh, journey outside, and, and it felt like I'd been pushed, you know, to some degree, to get away from the collectively based population of, um, you know, Phoenix and everything to go take this journey. Well, I didn't know that there's other reasons for this potential and everything, and, you know, and uh, and also the, the whole concept of shoving my, my mind, you know, out of my body was a trippy fucking experience that really caused some interesting, you know, um, perspectives and everything. And one time in particular, um, it's almost like I felt like um, my mind had switched channels in a literal sense, and I felt this little pressure saying, look outside now. And about that time, I saw what I knew to be two, not just one, but two cryogenic boxes that were mounted on the back of this truck as it drove away and everything. And I'm just like, okay, A, why did I get that, th that thought immediately going through my head at the same time? You know, is my mind and are my memories being tampered with on an active basis and everything? You know, and um, really, you know, if if this whole contest, you know, of free will is going on, what exactly are these, what, what are these, these, you know, drugs doing, 
um, let's and what's causing this addiction and uh, you know really it just comes down to you know calling it a hallucination by itself isn't really what I consider at this point a great answer and the reason for it is because I felt like I was in a struggle a fight for my own consciousness it wasn't just to die and everything but it's it's this whole feeling of like a Bill Murray Groundhog Day type thing where if I didn't get answers to these questions and I didn't understand this drug-based experience that or this thing that I referred to at the time as a drug-based experience um, that the same point in space and time I could be potentially revisiting and having to go through in a, in a distant future and that's just not something I subconsciously found amenable. You know, so I had to answer the question. What was I saying? What exactly are these things doing to me? And not only that, but why? And um, not only that, but what was I saying? You know, when I saw that plane. What are some of the answers, you know, that you can actually describe? Without actually basically saying everything is a direct result of, of drugs and everything. Because the drugs is an explanation to push the explanation away. It's, it's a non-explanation. It's basically saying, hey, here's a locked door. Don't answer questions and don't ask for the key. That just wasn't doing it for me anymore. What was I saying? I had to give these things a label. I had to understand. Not only that, but I also had to start affixing these labels and creating order myself. Stop looking to the outside world for the definitions. Instead, look to the outside world for ideas. And that's about the time that it started started realizing that I didn't understand, you know, when Brian Greene, he ended up having the Elegant Universe uh, conversation with the multiverse, and I didn't understand it, you know, I can act like I did, and when I was watching it, I was thrilled by the concepts, <laughs> but being sincere, I didn't get it. You know, a lot of science I didn't get. I mean, why is it matter has antimatter? Why is it a proton has an antiproton? Um, why is it, you know, this laundry list of things a mile long? Why is it gravity has an acceleration of 9.8 meters per second, you know, if you're going to put it in meters, and um, why is it it deviates, you know, based on gravity conditions and that kind of stuff, and, and other things as well? How is it? I can see my holographic plane. <laughs> the world didn't have answers for me, other than saying, drugs, don't take them. That wasn't an answer anymore. Couldn't be an answer. I had to find out. After all that, drug-based experience and everything, I look at that and I just basically say, yeah. I may do it in the future and everything. Now, if I do, I'm going to be looking at it from a very different perspective, though. From a, how do I leverage this experience 
to get further control of the capabilities of my own mind to be able to alter reality itself. I mean, I know I can do it. I've seen it more times than I can count. It's not because of the drugs. The drugs only awakened the possibility that was always already there. My conscious mind has a capability to alter, to do anything I want to, with time, with space. And to some degree, that responsibility seems incredible. And to some, even to me before, you know, it seemed like a powerful thing. But it's no more powerful than writing code, you know, programming. No more powerful than sculpting or creating a work of art, you know, through film. Each one of these things alters and shapes reality itself. But it's not as obvious. You take the direct approach, using your own mind. You start seeing the subtle features. And you start seeing through the holes, you know, of, your, of the stories that you tell yourself about why things go on. Now, I do believe, ultimately, that the stories that I told myself about why the world was doing what it was doing and everything, you know, I just got to the point of being too contradictive, too conflicting. There's too many of them out there, too many different possibilities. I had the influence of the encroaching civilization, different possibilities and everything that was, you know, causing literally a, a conflict for my own mind. Which one dominated, the collective or the individual? You know, which one's more accurate? You know, which one's more important? I had, um, when, um, I was, uh, put through the, uh, the chops over at, uh, Fort Meade and everything, one of the things I... I really highly protested what was a um, prepar preparation for war over in Iraq. Now, I understand now, you know, part of the reason for doing some of these things and everything, but I'm not really a fan, and as the United States was actually preparing to go to war over there, one of the things I, I ended up believing in strongly was I thought it was a foolish move on behalf of the U.S. government and everything. I sincerely, in my heart, believed that that was a war that the United States would never win. And the reason for it is, if the same people were to invade my country, were to try to take away the things that are most important to me, of different people, but we'll try to take away the things that were most important to me and replace it with what they felt was right. I might consider it, but if I objected, after I listened, if I objected, there would be no end. I would, in a literal sense, continue battling until the end of time, and then some. And I looked at it when they were actually invading Iraq, and I said to myself, you know, 
my country and the people that are actually waging this war may not necessarily agree with the way that they're living their life and everything. But there's going to be some people that are going to resist that. Resist the, the quote-unquote idea of democracy. The rule by the collective. I'm not going to fight. Now, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, that I'm an advocate of Bin Laden and any of his methods. Personally, I find them abhorrent. And don't label me as a sympathizer. Because I'm not a label. I'm not a sympathizer of somebody that actually will take somebody's head off on TV just to send a message. The idea of fear and terror That's not a message. That's just basically saying, I'm just like you, and I'm going to use more more concise methods in order to respond and put fear in your mind. I can, I can make you fear me more than you can make me fear you. Now, I disagree with it altogether. In my opinion, the United States should not be in Iraq, period, end of story. Shouldn't have been from the start. And if I would have had my way, I would have let them, let them be. However, if they were indeed waging war on my way of life, If they want to take the fight to my country and see what I'm capable of, I invite them to. Because there will be no end. And that's actually what I started thinking. The United States going to war in Iraq and something I started imagining from another perspective. What if they attacked us? I can't help but think about both sides of the equation. What if they actually came here and tried taking over our country? Tried establishing their own form of government governance? Let me, t let me put this another way. What if they came to your country and told you this is how you're going to think and perceive the world. This is what you're going to believe in. And this is what you're going to think is right. And this is what you're going to think is wrong. And not only that, but those values spit in direct contrast to what, what it is that you believed in what it is that you found and what you held precious. That, I think, would be a war that would have no end. And that's why that war just can't go on.
I would never allow it. When I ended up shifting over to the NSA, what the NSA didn't realize when they were getting onto it was had they not made the decision to hire me on, had my clearance not gone through, and had they required me to stay in the uh, military for the full lifetime of that obligation and everything. I would have resisted if I was asked or been if I was told to be deployed over to Iraq and everything and expected to actually fire on somebody there I would have said no period end of story would have absolutely resisted if I would have been held for treason I would have said that's fine fan. But if you're in my backyard, though, that's a different story. And that's the perspective I looked at when I considered the United States going over, over to Iraq. I imagined myself being one of those people over there. One of those religious people. Somebody that believed in what they believed in. Maybe it's different than what I believed in. I imagined my way of life that I held precious was taken from me. I imagined that those people that came in, you know, to my country and everything, not only didn't offer a way of life that I wanted. they didn't understand my way of life and they were interested in pressuring me to adopt their way of life because they felt like their way of life was better maybe we didn't see eye to eye maybe they did have something to offer But when they come in and tell me what to think, and this is how, the, how things are going to be, without consideration, without negotiation, without compromise, yeah. So that's how I thought about that whole war. Not only would I have resisted if I was them, Not only would I understand their methods, but I'd also be sending a message to them, too.
This is something I wouldn't do to you. In any case, it's weird what happens when you start seeing a world of possibilities and Star Trek introduced to, introduces not just concepts of physical reality and contrast and mirrored universe and different perspectives and everything, but also opens up the idea and the concept that life in the world is inhabited by both analog and digital and other things as well all overlapping and somehow we call this place home I liked working in the workforce don't get me wrong but what I didn't like was the hope and the promise being taken from me of a better life based on that I consider it my um responsibility to bring that back to this country bring it back to me. Not just hope for a better life, but an actual better life. And it starts here. Oh, I love watching naked women.